Hello and welcome to That Time We Woke Up in a Podcast and Had to Explain Manga, our heated adventures in overanalyzing manga we find interesting, otherwise known as the Overmanga Cast. This week we began our journey up the breakout webtoon hit Tower of God by SIU. We read episodes 0 through 34, taking us through the Jihad Princess arc. This is one monster of a tower to climb, so without further ado, let's begin the show. Let's see. Familiarity with Tower of God. Well, at this point, y'all can probably predict what I'm about to say. It's a Sam classic. It's got an anime. It's got an OP for that anime. The OP is really good. I listen to it all the time. I have not watched a shred of the anime. I have not read the webtoon or I think there's even a manga of it. I, I had not interacted with it beyond listening to the top. That's about it. And now here we are. So I have a little bit more familiarity. I remember I was just, you know, bumming around on the Internet and I saw a Webtoon series was getting a professionally made anime. As an aspiring writer myself, seeing something that started out as a passion project and, you know, was a thing on Webtoon that got popular and it got big enough to get mainstream attention. I'm rooting for the series in that sense. And I read a couple of things about like the, the premise of it all. And I'm like, huh, this also happens to be up my alley. So I go to Webtoon and I start reading it. You know, I'm going through a couple of chapters and, you know, these are these are long chapters for Webtoon. Like this is this is some substantial content. And then I looked at the chapter stroke page number. It rose up into the sky like a like a massive tower <laughs> impossible to climb. <laughs> there have been a couple of times when I've like tried to buckle down and actually like read through this. Having my feet to the fire and having a deadline to actually get to, you know, an arc end point was really nice. Um, so I was a little bit familiar with especially the very beginning of it. How about you, Jay? What did you know about uh, Tower of God? Straight to the point. Absolutely nothing. I'm going into this completely completely blank um i do not have that much exposure to webtoons or manhwa just not had that much exposure in that genre um so probably would not have come across this unless it was recommended fresh take guys and matt so my uh history with tower of god is probably a little different um i got really into webtoons for a quick second and was reading a bunch of them and I kept having people recommend Tower of God to me as like, this is really good. You should read this. And I read like the first two chapters and I've never bounced off something harder. <laughs> um, so I, I did not like it. The two chapters I'd read and um, now we've read more of it. And I have a more nuanced opinion on it. But uh, my initial exposure was not great. It yeah. <laughs> I'll say I did enjoy it. Like I got pretty into it eventually. Uh, almost in spite of the main <laughs> character. I don't particularly like Bomb, Bam, Bam, 25. Bam. <laughs> this is a secretly uh, a Flintstones review episode. We, we snuck it in, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Get more into why a little later. But uh, actually, uh, at the start here, it's a pretty good example of why. Uh, we open up with a shot in a tunnel of two people running, a boy and a girl. The boy's chasing after the girl. Uh, manages to catch her, uh, begging her not to leave, you know, knocks her to the ground. And she's like, nope, sorry, I'm out of here. I'm climbing the tower. Bye. And vibes out of existence. <laughs> she dissolves. Yeah, she becomes light. one with the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how you, that's how you end a bad date, girls. 
<laughs> Do not perceive me. <laughs> that take. <laughs> Bam and Rachel's relationship is a bad date. <laughs> it's at this point where we begin the what from what we've read appears to be the course of Bam's entire life of just chasing after Rachel and basically falling backwards into advancing because yeah. he goes into the tower with her. Is it now that we get explained how what the tower is? Not really. Okay. It's still very cryptic. Yeah, honestly, mm -hmm. throughout all of it, what exactly the tower is, I didn't dislike Bomb, but this has a bit of a similar element to another Webtoon series that got really successful, Sweet Home. It's not so much a series about its main... I don't want to put it that way, but like, for lack of a better way of putting it, it's not so much a series about its main character, about the world that these characters inhabit, because like... The more you learn about the world in which this takes place, the weirder it gets. And that was something that really sucked me in personally, like Rachel, like vanishing into light. There's a lot of cases where it's kind of hard to tell what's actually happening and what's more of a more of a metaphor of mm -hmm. how usually bomb, but any given character is perceiving what's going on. There's a sort of grounded reality for most of it, but there are a lot of cases where just like weird things will happen, like someone vanishing into a into light butterflies and disappearing into a door that's on the ground for some reason. Uh, and a grounded reality such as it is because Bomb swiftly passes out. Uh, and apparently his desire to not leave her behind is enough to go through this door as well. And he wakes up to a weird eyeless rabbit thing welcoming him to the tower. I think he's got eyes in his mouth somewhere. I don't. I didn't need to know that, Jake. <laughs> I was fine thinking that Hayden did not have eyes. He does have eyes. They're on the side of his head. Which is connected to his mouth with with really pointy teeth. I, I actually, like, at first, it took me a while to figure out, like, what was going on with Haddon, like, head on, like, face but i don't know it was oddly charming i, I found it cute i arrived and decided he was cute i don't know why it's a very striking character design and i'm not against it i just <laughs> i did not think it was cute i thought it was very interesting i'll put it at that <laughs> yeah there, there's definitely one thing you can say about tower of god the character designs are striking <laughs> it was so striking that i i think i mentally decided that i found it cute it was weird. <laughs> I will also say this for Tower of God. Uh, Jake has mentioned its incredible length that you would have to get through. It certainly jumps right into the premise because Heaton is like, hey, kid, welcome to the tower. Now, are you ready to prove yourself? Uh, no, too bad. Here's a giant fish. <laughs> the reason why I kept coming back to it was because it, it has a very quick pacing. It kind of makes me wonder if it ever slows down at any point because like... It's it's hundreds upon hundreds of chapters by this point. The test, we learn a bit later on that every floor of this tower has a test involved with it to let you go up higher and get higher and higher up the tower. And when you reach the top, you'll get whatever it is you desire. We decided if there's only one test per floor, because Matt and I were, were discussing this, because it, it's referenced later on that apparently there are multiple tests, tests on each floor. Yeah, they spend a lot of time on floor two doing multiple tests. The way that it's framed, and this is actually one of the things that um, I enjoyed most finally getting through the first arc and actually like 
know at least having an idea of what's going on the second floor there's like 30 tests to see if you're worthy to take the test and like it's dumb mm -hmm. and arbitrary and confusing and there are a whole bunch of points over the course of um especially up to a certain point uh near the end of our reading where you'll notice a lot of these tests are just unfair but jacob it's life is not fair <laughs> So is it unfair to test you on yet another thing where you must rely on pure luck? We'll get to him in a bit. But... We'll, we'll get into my entire rant about that in a bit. <laughs> um, but the, thing that, the thing that I really liked was it's setting up this mystery of like, why are the tests these way? What is the tower? What is it? You know, what are the tests for? Eventually, we're going to get to a point where the series actually explains one of its mysteries that you know, in a lot of other series would be held out for a very long time. And the thing I appreciate about that is it sets up something that seems wrong, that seems off. And then, you know, you get a little bit further into it and it says, yes, you were right for noticing that was weird. Here's why. It builds for me a level of trust that when I see something that's off with like a character or a motivation or some element of the tower, my immediate thought is that's a mystery I have to solve rather than thinking that it's a mistake on the writer's part. Yeah, I'll I'll give Tower of God some credit. It does one of my favorite things I see in world building where it will introduce terms to you before you have any reason to even acknowledge what that is because mm -hmm. they're not explaining it to you. These people live in the world you don't need to define every word you ever use. It's only when Bam finally actually needs to know things, he'll have it like, oh, wait, you thought they were actually fishermen? No, no, no. Fishermen is just a term we use. We do get that basically right off the bat with our introduction to the Shinsu, some sort of weird spiritual water that is highly concentrated at the top of the tower and seems to flow down uh, to the lower floors, it lets people breathe, it lets people do, like, magic, and it apparently also harbors giant eels. That is the test that Heden gives to Bam, or Bomb. His name is the 25th Bomb, which is already a weird-as-hell name, and immediately is a... I, I thought it was because a of, because of my unfamiliarity with Manwa, I was like, are they immediately introducing him as a disposable character? Because apparently there have been 25 of them. <laughs> yeah, there are 24 ones before him. What are we doing with this guy? <laughs> well, uh, I, I do believe they explain relatively early on the reason for his name is that was the date that he was born. I think they might even explain that in the same panel. But the problem with that is they use the same font they use for jokes. Uh, one of my big complaints is that the paneling, at least in the part that we read, isn't great because every uh, a lot of times when a character will finish a sentence, it will also end that speech bubble, but it won't be the end of the panel. The character is still talking. So another speech bubble for that character will pop up with more of what they're saying. And if multiple characters are having a conversation it gets real confusing. Yeah, don't get me started on the this manhwa does not seem to adhere to the belief that speech bubble um, tags should point to the person speaking. Yeah, yeah. I think they're trying to kind of give the illusion that it's a back and forth conversation. It's a back and forth exchange. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I got from it. But yeah, it was it was still mm -hmm. confusing at, at points. 
my my thing I went through with Tower of God was when I first started it, I made the immediate assumption that the art was bad. Mm. Mm. It's not bad. The style they use for people's faces is interesting, and that can lead you to... But they, they do have artistic talent. I think where they're not really good is choosing poses for people or framing things like the pose they'll decide to do is just a weird angle for seemingly no it doesn't look great like they're trying to do purposefully difficult it's it's trying it's trying for style and not succeeding yeah but i mean that was kind of my interpretation as well but also just because i'm unfamiliar with the whole manhwa genre like are they trying to focus on art or is it just another medium by which you were storytelling? Because, you know, there are some manga that people have argued, this is terrible art, it's not worth the time, but the story is great. And even the manga club will tell you, I'm not good at art, but I had this story that I wanted to tell. Or vice versa. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like what... I guess, depending on the manhwa, what is their objective? Like, it could be that this is a style that they're tr they're striving for, or it could be just like, hey, we're not artists. We just had this idea and we're just kind of running with it, you know, and, and the story is really the prime objective here, not the art. I don't think I have an answer to that question, but I I do see how that like could be the case. Uh, it's like Jake said earlier, this was uh, somebody's passion. And very clearly, the creator uh, cares an awful lot about this story because there is a there is a lot of effort gone into this in, the, in that regard. And one thing that I remember from, I believe it was the first time I read it, I chose to scroll down and actually look at some of the comments on Webtoon, just, you know, seeing what, you know, people were thinking about, like it getting an anime and stuff like that. And one of the things that I saw a lot of people saying was stuff like, wow, the art has come so far. So this was someone's passion project that, you know, blossomed into something more. I can't speak on what the art quality is later because I've only gotten as far as what we've you know, read uh, episode 34. Um, but yeah, the art, the art can be rough at mm -hmm. times. All of this is uh, getting away from we uh, have to deal with the fact that our boy might be eaten by a giant eel. The white armored eel. As we get established pretty late, um, Bam's test for the first level is inherently unfair. Two other characters that will swiftly introduce say that Heden has a particular dislike for irregulars. We don't know what an irregular is yet, but we know that Bam is one of them, and Heden is going to make this test as unfair as possible in an attempt to screw him over. That's the uh, character's perceptions of it. Because honestly, I don't know that we know enough about Heaton to really know what his motivations were. You could you could look at the way he's paneled a few different ways. Like there's the part where he explains the test to Bam and Bam goes to begin the test. And it's got the whole zoom in on Heaton's face, look over shoulder, grin, the heh moment. And that could either be perceived as yes my plan is working he will go to his death now or all right this kid's got balls let's see what he can do but um we should we've been talking about this test a lot without actually saying what it is this is the ball test and there is a roughly human-sized orb on the other side of this big f off eel and you need to attack the ball hard enough to pop it while not getting eaten by the giant eel because i gotta make sure you're wearing a cup <laughs> exactly. Bam, all by his lonesome, doesn't really even have any weapons. He's probably doomed. He's probably not going to be able to. Doesn't he have like a kitchen knife or something? Like he has. He has something really lame like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Why does he have a kitchen knife if he was chasing after Rachel? <laughs> I don't know. Like, just telling you, it's a really bad date. <laughs> <laughs> Why was he really chasing after Rachel? Who That's... knows? <laughs> Thankfully, he's not left without an actual main character weapon for long because two other characters happen to be passing by this first floor and see. Uh, our poor doomed boy going into this test, uh, y- Lady Yuri and her guide, Evan. Oh, my God. Evan is not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an opinion on him. He seems like a pretty chill dude. Like, he just seems like an average dude who's just, I don't know, tasked with working with this girl. <laughs> my, my problem with Evan isn't necessarily the character. It's what he brings out. Uh, he has the really bad habit of explaining something three different times. He'll have three separate speech bubbles, which are the exact same thought repeated. But is that a character thing or is that an author it's, thing? It's, it's not a character thing because other characters do it later. Uh, this this uh, this manhwa gets wordy at times. And Evan in isolation is a pretty chill dude. No, I just I just don't like Evan because he only does the thing I don't like, which happens occasionally. Which, in all fairness, the uh, the author does catch at one point and starts just putting skip where things are being repeated. But that's not from the beginning. <laughs> they drop down before Ben can go into the test area like, kid, you're just going to get yourself killed. Are you sure you got to go up this tower? Yes, I need to see Rachel again. OK, here, have my cool ass magic sword. Actually, it's more of a needle. But here, have my have my cool magic needle. It's called the Black March. And. Go forth and conquer, I guess. Well, specifically, didn't she get told it had to be the Black March by yeah. Eden? Basically, she was there trying to convince Bam not uh, Bomb not to do this because there's no possible way you could ever succeed. Uh, the other thing that we see is that there are different languages. Bam does uh, Bomb does not speak the same language as Lydiary and Evan uh, until he is given uh, a marble. Marble. <laughs> a magic marble, essentially. It's basically a video game heads up display. One of the many weird things about the world building. And again, it, wait, how does this world work where it has a digital mm-hmm. clock? Yeah, that's another thing, because it's kind of like the fact that there are still different languages. So they recognize that there are different languages and there's a translator that they're able to supply to people. I guess what I'm trying to understand is how do people how are these languages maintained in isolation if there's just a translation device that you can that everyone can have? The pocket seems to be a commodity. It's said later on that there is actually a higher tech version of it, basically, that you can buy and it's hella expensive, which implies that the base version that they all have is also fairly pricey. It's probably like buying a smartphone or something. Obviously, smartphones aren't that expensive because why do homeless people have them? We're not getting into that. (laughs) It's the thing of this is a commodity. Not everybody can afford the commodity. And there's clearly a pretty sizable population, considering there are 10 great families and then enough people to not be a part of those to make up the population of a separate section of the tower. Well, that makes sense, because, I mean, you can't have a ruling class if you don't have plebs below you. Exactly. We we do get established that the tower seems to be infinitely long in one direction because it shows each of the floors. The testing floor is a very tiny portion and the rest of the floor floor is what you would expect a tower to look like. The other part is just this 
giant block from which like an entire world of people essentially live on because like people from different levels i guess are different species we don't ever get that confirmed but i think we can assume that and there's also an implication of a um stratification of society where the higher up in the tower you are the more elite you are because presumably you know somebody like somebody had to climb the tower that high and it's also based on relationships like how many times like i think they pointedly ask like how many of you got to where you are based on either a blood relation or who you know or who like political favors politics is very much at play here and it's something that is like frequently addressed of like oh you well we'll talk about this later but there's just like oh you turn you turn out to have like some kind of relationship politically um you're now you were your family was cast out previously and now you're trying to regain some favor or um you know do do good by your family name or something like that I mean, we get into that later we're not finished talking about how bam's not done winning the lottery yet so maybe we can <laughs> yeah we, we, we need to we need to get on with this test here because it's like i said my main complaint with bam is he um basically falls backwards into success and this is like the one cool thing that he does that is a product of himself and i will give all the props for is rather than try to outrun the eel or fight it with this weapon that he doesn't really know how to use, he stands there. And when I, I've been saying this thing's big, it's massive, it's huge. And so it swallows him in one bite. Staying cool as a cucumber, he lets himself get eaten, put in its mouth, and then stabs the thing through the tongue so that it spits him back up. You know, that sort of resolve is very impressive. And with the beast incapacitated by pain, he runs over to the ball, stabs into it, and it doesn't it doesn't break. He didn't stab it hard enough. I guess the ball was just made too well. But specifically, the one thing I do like about that is the line. Uh, he was more afraid of never being able to see Rachel again than he was of dying by this eel. Mm hmm. <laughs> And that gave him strength enough to do that. And then we get to the part where my favorite character is introduced for real. A lot of this also um, circles back around to head uh, on. We don't know why he was so insistent that um, Bomb be given the Black March in particular. Was he trying to doom Bomb by giving him a weapon he didn't think would be able to work because the intended wielder of the Black March can never get it to work? Did he into it that maybe it would work and that bomb could actually succeed with the help of this weapon see what i got from that was he was purposefully uh he essentially yuri was saying i'll give him a weapon to help him out and Heden was like i'm the test administrator here if you really want to give him a weapon i will only allow you to give him the black march so huh. give up your best weapon if you really want to help him, or you can just leave and let me do my job. Was kind of how I read it. The connotation is that this is like the most prized possession. I mean, we learn later, obviously, that these weapons are one of, I believe, 12 weapons that are... 13. 13 weapons that are given to a specific owner. It's like your namesake. You're staking your name on this, on this unknown variable. Yeah. It's not just like, I'm just going to give this spare sword to you. No, this is something that is specifically assigned to you. If someone, as we find out later, spoiler, if someone sees the Black March on you, they know who gave it to you. Mm -hmm. This is, you're putting, you're staking your name, you're stating your claim on this 
this fighter, this person. Bomb is trying to stab the ball, make it explode. It's not working. And Evan yells, call out to the sword. Tell it to ignite its power and help you out. And Yuri's like, it'll never do that. It didn't do that for me. Why should it do it for him? <laughs> and Bomb asks. And it does. And then sexually harasses him. Yeah. It's really weird. Is <laughs> <laughs> apparently sexist. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it the sword spirit manifests as a beautiful lady who's like okay kid why do you want to go up the tower i need to see rachel again huh that's a pretty boring reason but you're cute so i'll give you my power <laughs> and i love the look that the spirit of the black march gives to yuri because you can tell 100 percent of this is entirely <laughs> to spite yuri in particular oh no yep. A hundred percent, I read the Black March as she is a beautiful weapon designed like one of the like greatest weapon ever known. And she is forced to only be handed out to the princesses of, I forget his name, but that, that doesn't matter. She can only be wielded by a princess. And she's like, but I want some hot boys. No fair. <laughs> <laughs> I believe the line she says is uh, back off ladies. This <laughs> one's mine. And while she's hugging Bam <laughs> and Yuri is freaking out like you just didn't give me your power because you're sexist. I can't kill you for this. Yeah, this is uh, when uh, we start getting another thing that's big in Tower of God is they have entire panels that are essentially like blooper reels where the characters just tell jokes about what's happening. Yeah, no, Black March's best girl. And yeah. <laughs> and uh, with her power, the ball shatters and Bam is whisked away to the second floor. Which means he also took the sword with him. <laughs> Bomb is good boy. He was going to give it back. He doesn't want things he wants to see his friend again because uh another thing that has been established up to this point bomb's entire life was living alone in a tunnel underground he only had one dirty cloth was his only possession the reason why he's so attached to rachel is because it was the only other thing in his world like that's mm -hmm. why the relationship is so important to him which is something interesting that i noted that i'll uh, bring up a little bit later so he was going to give this back and like you know we've mentioned that this is basically like a royal artifact only pe you know only the intended wielder is supposed to have it but when he breaks the ball, he's teleported away with everything he's holding. And you get a look from Hadon, like, he knew there was only two ways this would go. Yeah, he's, he was given the, uh, the family dieclave, which had a sentient spirit in it. And there's my exalted joke for the episode. Moving on. <laughs> Yuri and Evan take off to get to the next floor and, you know, find Bomb and reclaim the Black March. And meanwhile, our boy's been dropped in the middle of a field. And uh, guess what? Time for Battle Royale. I mean, kind of. <laughs> Where are we dropping, boys? We essentially get told that there are 400 regular participants on this floor. And as a pretest to getting to the final test, and just a little spoiler here, we spend the remainder of our reading on floor two. They need to narrow down that field of applicants from 400 to 200 by any means necessary. And the language is very specific here that like explicitly avoids mentioning like killing. So I thought that was going to be like a secret. Like, oh, we didn't want you to kill everyone. I was reading too much into this. Were you not reading too much into this? Because you thought they weren't, you know, suggesting the most direct and obvious. And like immediately going to violence also um, isn't necessarily the best strategy either, as we'll find. 
Because mm-hmm. I mean, if anything, we just have like, well, I know there is a time constraint, but you could just have like a giant game of like, I don't know, dodgeball or something. <laughs> or since uh, the test administrator here likes luck so much, just rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, uh, I mean, Bam really lucked out getting the luck test administrator because uh, he keeps rolling sixes on his dice because um, <laughs> oh, yeah. when the battle rail starts, everyone around him just starts killing each other. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no. Everybody is killing each other, and then they turn to kill him, and then somebody else walks on and immediately murks them. <laughs> I mean, would you see Bomb as a threat? <laughs> like, not particularly, but when the point is to get the countdown to 200 as fast as possible, wouldn't you want to eliminate the weakest first to make the killing not last so long? A lot of these people are here for blood sport, though. Actually, I mean, we, were, we were just talking about the fact that narrowing, like narrowing down a pool of applicants does not involve killing. I mean, by goodness sake, like if we were applying for a job and we had to narrow down, you know, <laughs> applicants, I hope you don't like me. I could deal without having to repeat my resume four times. It could just, you know, enter a battle royale. I mean, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good point. We are in a minute here going to meet somebody who it, who would not go for the weak target because he's here to fight strong opponents. Yeah. But first we have to meet best boy, uh, Kun Agrero Agnes. I'm glad you uh, said his uh, middle and last name. <laughs> I'm not even entirely sure I did it right, but <laughs> whatever. It's important because he is from a prestigious family that was cast out. And we first see him walking up to some big dude and it's like, hey, all this killing is pretty lame, huh? You want to just not do that? And the guy goes to attack him and he's like, OK, fine, whatever. I'll just kill you and move on then. And he swiftly does. He ends this guy and goes on his merry way. I mean, he's capable. He tried. He tried to resolve this, you know, diplomatically, but you, you pushed him. It isn't long until he comes across Bomb, but. Unfortunately, someone else got to him first, and that is other best boy, Rock <laughs> Wraith Razor. <laughs> His stupid black turtle. Rock Wraith Razor is amazing. The like three panels out of 20 that they decide to actually draw him. <laughs> he's on the banner. So I feel like he's probably going to become important eventually, but mostly as, as far as we've read, He's mostly just there to be wonderful. Yeah, yeah. He, he is a main character in name only. <laughs> like, Pretty much. <laughs> he am big crocodile man who is here to fight strong opponents. He is here to hunt. He will hunt all the turtles. I love him. He is also the host of those um, essentially blooper reel panels I mentioned earlier. <laughs> the majority of them going forward are Chibi Wraith talking about scenes that he didn't actually want to be, in, be involved <laughs> in because he can't have a serious conversation. But don't worry, half the panels are these bloopers. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting choice. Yeah, he quickly takes out... Uh, he doesn't even necessarily take the guy out. He he like walks up to a sniper who's been picking off people around bomb and is going to shoot him next and is like, hey, is that a chocolate bar you have? Picks up gun. Eh, no, it isn't. Throws gun off ledge. Later, loser. I'm going to go hunt that kid who has the really cool looking sword. Yeah, because that's the big thing about um, Rack was he sniffed out the strongest two competitors. He smelled two really strong swords. Specifically, mm-hmm. one on the character we get introduced into a little later who is established to be the strongest competitor. 
And then also Bam. And the interesting thing about Bam was the smell was a little diluted, which is why he was more interested in it. And it was he had sniffed out the Black March. And it's one of those ones where like you could see it as a as a element of cowardice, but especially with the way that Rack actually puts it, I think he understood he didn't stand a chance against the other really powerful weapon. The Black March and the person who was currently wielding it would be someone who would be a challenge, but that he actually could beat. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that about him. It's kind of hard getting honesty from Rack because he's not even honest with himself. Like... He talks a big game that he can normally facilitate by being a giant crocodile person, but also will talk his way into a grave. Uh, so he goes down to Bomb and is like, hey, kid, let's fight. And Bomb's like, I, I really prefer not to. Please, could we just not? They didn't say we had to kill each other in the announcement somewhat specifically. <laughs> oh, no, that didn't matter. OK, <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, thankfully, before Rock can go and absolutely uh, destroy him, uh, he had met up with Kun, who manages to incite Rock into a bit of a blood rage by calling him a pet crocodile. Basically distract him with rage. Yeah, Rock has a habit of calling human people, human types like uh, Bomb and Kun, uh, turtles. He calls them turtles, yes. <laughs> Which are better than soft-shell turtles. When you're being weak, you're, you're, you're no better than a soft-shell turtle. Mm-hmm. So Rock is, like, going around, like, fight me! Take me on! 1v1! Let's go! And Kun's like, all right, we're just going to leave? We're going to hide? I'm trying to he- think about who he reminds me of. It was... <sighs> what show was it? Oh, yeah. Like go ahead. Getting Krogan's from Mass Effect vibes from him. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, not not incorrect. Shepard. <laughs> but while Rock is on a rampage, Kun and Bomb hide away from him, and they they get in a little chat talking, getting to know each other. Uh Kun is like, oh wait, he's got the black march. This guy's probably really powerful. I should stick around him because uh we learn that Kun's entire thing is not fighting if he doesn't have to just so he can make powerful alliances and have other people do things for him, even though he's perfectly capable himself. And I kind of appreciate that. It's also the fact that it's not like he doesn't have anything to bring to the table. I mean, he certainly has, you know, intelligence, intellect. Mm-hmm. He's like, I might not be a, I'm not a fighter type, but yeah. Um, this conversation between Bam and Kun, where my favorite part of dialogue comes from, I think it is. It's where ba- Bam goes, hey, what's that sky above us? And Kun's just oh, like, the stars. What, what do you mean? Stars are a legend. Also, what do you mean you've never seen the sky before? And he's like, <laughs> uh, no, I've totally seen the sky before. I'm a regular participant. And Kun believes that? I know. He definitely does not believe. He's just not pressing the issue but but we get his inner monologue and his inner monologue never addresses that at all (laughs) like his inner monologue basically says huh that's weird that doesn't make sense okay i don't care i'm not gonna press the issue i don't think that i don't think for a second that if uh kun actually got pressed on it he would uh love that bam's dialogue is literally oh yeah i've totally seen the sky before (laughs) like yeah the, that's definitely a thing that I know about. Ha, cool. Which he pulls this again later, and it's even less convincing with an even more powerful person. We'll yeah, get ba- to it. 
Bam's got the energy of the uh, exchange student on the magic school bus. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, we totally go on field trips to the moon all the time. And yeah, that's that's the thing that I kind of that it's not that I dislike Bum. It's just he ain't douche. He just kind of keeps winning because he keeps locking into situations that get him to move forward. Yeah, his his character is inherently reactionary, except he's also like a blank slate personality wise. So his reactions aren't interesting mm-hmm. is kind of there's there's something that we'll get into a little bit later that uh, I think uh, will address this issue because I didn't have a problem with this because I noticed this. Mm-hmm. But that's that's much later. So essentially the death game's over, though, because we just hear over the announcement that uh, it has been narrowed down to 200 participants. Now a new game is starting. Find teammates. Team building exercise within the next five minutes. Make sure that you and two other people are touching so you can become a team. Also, the announcer says any violence between participants will result in expulsion. But we then see people fight, so I'm not sure how hard that rule was meant to be enforced. It's almost as if the actual rules of the tower and the tests are inherently unfair. Arbitrary. <laughs> Arbitrary, even, exactly. But um, we at, throughout all this, we've been keeping an eye on a couple of other main character or side character looking types, including my favorite tracksuit boy. I know he has an actual name. I do not remember it. He is Tracksuit Boy. Chibisu. Yeah, Tracksuit Boy is much better. About um, never addressing characters by names. Well, also the fact mm-hmm. that he's like not referred to by his name. He's constantly called Tracksuit Guy. Or I mean, he, yeah, if he's even referred to by that, though. Because a lot of dialogue doesn't even bother to refer to the person they're talking to. Like, you're just assumed to know, mm-hmm. like, it's mid-conversation between these people. Which is fine for writing realistic dialogue, but your audience is going to be confused what these characters' names are because it hasn't been mentioned in 50 episodes. I do have I do have the cheat sheet open, <laughs> and that's the only reason I know that Tracksuit Boy is uh, Shibisu. He got caught up in a fight between two very powerful characters, uh, Anak and Hats, and we only know them, their names, because Shibisu is actually pretty good at addressing people by their proper name. <laughs> Yeah, Anak is is one of the characters that you're probably going to be able to remember her name because her name is actually really important. She's also a very unique character design because she's a lizard girl. Yeah, I think she's first introduced as Lizard Girl. Um, On the topic of Anak, it was very distracting, and I talked to Matt about this earlier, but um, Anak in um, Tagalog is like the equivalent of like a, a term of endearment. It means my child, my dear. And I was just like... Is this on purpose? Is there like some cross-cultural like meaning here? And it, it was very distracting. And I just thought I should. <laughs> I mean, given what we learn later on, I actually wouldn't be surprised. It kind of does fit with her. But with the team building game, Kun and Bomb are like, all right, we're obviously like a power power duo already. The only other person around here is the crocodile. He'll never agree to get on a team with us. But all we have to do is be touching him when the time limit runs out. So let's do some yakety sack shenanigans. <laughs> this is the reason why I never really had a problem with the way that uh, Bomb was portrayed, because his actual his way of getting Rack to uh, at least have enough of a conversation where they could trick him into forming a team was really clever because Bomb recognizes the only reason why Rack ha- even acknowledges his presence is because of the Black March. Mm hmm. 
So he he throws the Black March aside and says, okay, hunt me now. Wait, but I wanted to fight you with a sword. Well, I don't want to use the sword. Oh, no. <laughs> you got me. Your ability to just naturally empathize with people. Ugh, that's better than any intelligence. I mean, I, I think the way Bomb's portrayed, you're supposed to at least take that he just naturally intuits things because he's there yeah. are characters who are dressed as explicitly intelligent. And then Bomb just seems to, like, naturally get things. And I think there's a distinction there. Oh, yeah, there is. Yeah. I, th there's also the fact that Rock was specifically calling uh, Bomb out for the Black oh, March yes. as well. Rock also just shouts his motivations at people. So I guess we're really giving Bomb a little too much credit. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, in, in this case. I will say I have a I have a few theories on Bomb's nature, but we'll get into that in the discussion later. And, and it could potentially explain why he's able to just intuit and maybe even explain away why he just falls backwards locking into things. I don't know. But that comes up later. The important thing is they do manage to uh, force Rock onto their team. He's very grumpy about it until they're like, well, you're the biggest and the strongest. Clearly, you can be the leader. And he's like, yes, I am the leader, Rock. I love rock he's great <laughs> so um we we established once the teammates are from they don't get teleported anywhere right no they they get teleported out of the field into the room where they meet lara row so then why does the black march get teleported with bam this time when it because he had picked it up he had already picked it up oh uh, okay cool yep because he wasn't just gonna leave it behind I, th I thought he was still holding on to um Rock was the thing, but okay. I'm pretty sure there was a panel of him picking it up uh, when Rock was screaming and they jumped on him. Oh, was there was there a time between the test ending and Rock agreeing to be on their team? Uh, yeah, they were already in the place when when Rock calmed down and there was the whole like, I am the leader now. That bit happened after they had already been teleported to the location of the next test to see if you're worthy of the test. Because gotcha. the entire time, ever since Bam threw the Black March aside, I'm like, oh, this is how they're going to get around him being given a god weapon right out of the gate is he's going to immediately lose it because mm -hmm. of teleport shenanigans and then that didn't happen and i was like oh no <laughs> do indeed get teleported to a big old meeting room where we meet i'm not sure if i like this guy or not but he is the next test administrator Lero. i, I hated the fact every time i read his name i kept reading it as leo rio from uh, hunter hunter <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> uh lero is what's called a ranker he's somebody who made it really high on the tower i think maybe even yeah, all the they, way to the top they allude to all the way to the top what he so he is has all the knowledge yeah like i think they establish here that once you make it to the top you get your desire but then you also having ranked you start at the bottom of the rankers and then move your way up to positions of like influence but the bottom point is and this is where he goes on like He's challenged in this first round of testing, like, oh, you're just a ranker. That doesn't mean you know everything. And, you know, I, I've I've sacrificed and I've had to, you know, give up everything to come this far. You think you're you think you know everything. I think that, you know, this is unfair or that you're holding out from us. And it's just like as someone who's gone through and reached the top of the tower something you were actively attempting to do he's by default ahead of you yeah i i just never got that pushback i'm like this dude literally is has been in your place before and has that makes sense if how the tower works is the people who enter it you are already the strength you need to be to get to the top however 
just in what we read, I don't think that's the case. So the attitude they have doesn't make a lot of sense. They actually kind of explain this this dissonance a little bit later. The thing that causes this uh, this little hullabaloo is Lero is like, all right, here's the next test to see if you can take the test. Uh, I'm going to use the Shinsu to create a giant barrier. And in making the barrier, you know, pushes all the participants back to like the far side of the room. And it's like, whoever has strength enough to push through this density of Shinsu and get to the other side of the barrier, you are good to go. It is a, a literal filter. Yes. And another point is the fact that he offers that the tower is mostly made up of this energy. It's not an arbitrary barrier. This is something that you were going to uh, to encounter in, in varying amounts the further up you go in the tower. So it's like, it's not just arbitrary, I just hate you guys. It's like, this is this is going to become part of your reality. You're going to encounter this, this, this situation. So I want you to, you know, we need to know if you can take it or not. If you can't get through the, if you can't get through this, higher up in the tower is this, but worse. Yeah, at, at some point the air will be so thick with Sinso you can no longer breathe. So this is a mercy to you right now. Yeah. Correct. And I think that that point that was where I was just kind of like riled up of like I don't understand the animosity. He's literally saying I'm helping you because this is this is where it's going to be here on out. Like I need you to There is there is one other element that we haven't mentioned though cuz there there's an important uh reason why certain people were very very angry because every member of the team had to get through which means if you had a weak link, even if you were worthy to take the next test, you could be arbitrarily eliminated. Correct. And the fact that they weren't able to, you know, legitimately vet the people they teamed up with, it's just kind of like everyone was, a st was still a stranger to them. No, oh, they essentially randomly picked. Yeah, and in a lot of cases, it was people that they had just previously been fighting. That was one of the really cool moments for uh, Kun, where it's not like he predicted that that would be the next part of the test or anything, but he realized there was a reason why it was phrased the way it was, that there was going to be some trick about, like, the obvious implication is kill 200 of the participants, but why didn't they just say that? And that was a hint that there's going to be, you know, 199 other people. There may end up being some interaction with these people after that. There's going to be some team building. The other thing that Larero puts in is that at some point, the your ability to go further is going to be based on your raw inborn talent. If you just aren't strong enough based on the sheer random cosmic rolling of the dice, you are going to hit the filter point. You should just accept that now. And one of the things that, you know, is come to be noted pretty quickly is that among the regulars who are the participants in the in the push up the tower going through these tests, it seems to be a universal personality trait that regulars are extremely cocksure. You do not go into the tower as a regular to be a to try and climb it unless you believe in your heart of hearts that you're going to make it all the way to the top. And so having this completely arbitrary barrier be, uh, be in your way, of course it would rankle you super hard. Yeah, because essentially the tower is the one who picks the regulars. Like the tower mm. picks these people to participate because they have a desire that is strong enough that they have a wish they want fulfilled. Well, that's what they're told. 
But, but yeah, the tower does decide people, though. The tower yeah. does decide people, but why the tower decides certain people, we'll is find out later, is, is uh, there's more to it than that. Really, the most important thing about this is that if you don't just have the sauce, you're not going to be able to get through this barrier. So I guess it is pretty notable that Bam didn't even get pushed back in the creation of it. Excuse me, mister. <laughs> I, I didn't get attacked by your... You must have missed me by accident. <laughs> this little punk... <laughs> It's the it's the way it's framed in the comic too. He he dead ass says, I, I think there was a mistake. I didn't get pushed back. Should I like go to the other side and come back through? I didn't feel anything. There was like no there's no sensation. There wasn't even a slightest breathe. Is, is mine working? Is it in yet? <laughs> and like I oh love God, the man. look on Leo Rose's face when he realizes Bomb didn't even move. He's like, oh no. This <laughs> I'm wondering if these people have sauce. This kid has sauce. At, yeah, everybody else starts attempting to move through the barrier at this point with varying levels of success. Kun's able to get through fairly quickly. His bag gets caught for a little bit, but he pulls it all the rest of the way through. Yeah, it's a pretty strange bag, isn't it? Mm hmm. Must be expensive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rock just barrels through without even really thinking about it. Actually, I want to circle back to Kun's bag because that's another part of the weird anachronistic nature of the tower. Because as Bam learns in a conversation with, there are actually two parts to the tower. There's the outer tower where, uh, like these communities live that these people come from and where the regulars are drawn from. And then there's the inner tower, which is the actual testing ground. People who live outside of the tower and break the tower's rules are the irregulars. Someone living in the outer tower going into the inner tower without permission can also be an irregular. But people who, <laughs> who live underground outside of the tower entirely below it, they're sort of irregular by default. Looking at the collection of regulars, the tower must have some wild freaking uh, cultural diversity because there are like Kun is in like a button up and... Uh, dress pants and he's got a he's his bag is essentially like a briefcase and meanwhile there's people in like traditional like uh, like a knock is in uh is in some sort of robe i'm sure there's an actual word for it that's that i'm blanking on I mean, we see two characters in ghillie suits with sniper rifles like there's so many cases where people are using melee weapons. And then there's the guy with the sniper rifle. Rock is essentially in Roman centurion armor. Like, never mind the fact that one of the regulars is a giant <laughs> crocodile man. That is a little strange. And it's one of those ones where it's like, I personally am really curious. What is outside the tower? What is this world that we're living in? What is this place? Me too. The thing that's important to note about irregulars is they are rare and usually exceedingly powerful because the few irregulars that have been in the tower in history are all like big name world shaking people that have caused huge quakes throughout history. And that's why people are generally very cautious and which was also explicitly why um Yuri even noticed Bam because they noticed an irregular came in and she's just like, ooh, a regular. Well better help him because uh, I want to shake things up. Yeah, her mm -hmm. her stated motivation uh was that she does not like the way that the tower is run and irregulars have a tendency of kicking the tower and seeing what falls out. So that's why she was so invested in seeing Bomb at the very least live. 
essentially we then get the second part of bomb pretending he's a totally normal person because um while all these people are banging their heads trying to get through this barrier uh he has a con- yeah literally very much literally. <laughs> he has a conversation with um lero Rowe, uh where he essentially goes hey i'm totally not an irregular but you know i had some questions about irregulars <laughs> Yeah, could you exposit at me a little bit? <laughs> Lara Rowe is also just like, hmm, this kid is totally irregular. Because I think there's debating whether or not Kuhn believes. I think Lara Rowe does not care and might be cocky enough to think an irregular couldn't get this far. It's not something he cares about. So he's like, he's just going to take Bomb at his word. He also basically convinced himself that he actually did miss Bomb because there's no way this person felt nothing from his attack. <laughs> Yeah, he was actually legitimately very spooked. Like, like I said, I love the look on his face. Yeah, like <laughs> the existential dread. Like that dissonance, I believe from this character that he has convinced himself bomb is a fluke and sometimes people just get lucky and luck is the only skill I test for. Which, I mean, good thing he picked bomb because uh, that kid's got <laughs> luck growing out of his wings. I, mm, that was not a that was not an idiom. <laughs> um, so we get a lot of the side characters because uh, it, it's not quite this arc. It's the next arc where we fully get to know everybody's names. But geez, do they tune in exam like throw a bunch of character names at us all at once? We get a uh, green snake girl who walks through the barrier. No problem. A knock. Yeah, knock. We get a few others who walk through without any real issue. Other than Kuhn and Rock, because they're main characters, because they're on a team with the main character. The two who are like shown to have the easiest time are Anok and Hats who are on a team. They had been trying to kill each other during the 400 down to 200 test. The instant that it was called off, they immediately, you know, it was like it never even happened. They're on a team and they just so happened to be in the presence of... Uh, our our favorite tracksuit boy who is now bashing his head against the thing desperately trying to get in while also calling some woman an old lady because she can't get in. bold strategy to mock someone's lack of competence as you are currently failing <laughs> look shibisu and serena are my otp in this series <laughs> I, I don't know how old she's supposed to be because she looks identical to every other character I don't think she's actually old. <laughs> I think Shibisu is just making fun of her because they have a they have a sometimes playfully, sometimes very not antagonistic relationship. But they are the OTP. I think Trackshoot might just prefer younger women, which would make sense with his teammates. I don't because I think he and um uh the old lady are the same age. Uh, either way, they are having a hell of a time getting through the Their foreheads are bleeding. <laughs> It's really <laughs> yeah, because they keep banging their heads on it. It's really funny. I loved that bit. Then the dude who is sleeping just wakes up going, like, oh, man, well, better walk through. <laughs> I guess it's better to nap on the other side. It's noisy out here. It just casually walks through. Yeah, no, discount Aizawa is also pretty <laughs> great. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> there is the occasional character design in this. I'm just like, hmm, that looks familiar. Uh- <laughs> Soon enough, everybody makes it through the barrier test that was apparently destined to do so. On to the next test. Doors. Yeah, this is a test. Um, It was a test that I probably would have failed. It's so weird. I am of mixed minds about this because on the one hand, I 
kind of I kind of dig it. I mean, when it's broken down, I understand. I understand the thought process and the motivations behind it. But it's kind of like I feel like I probably would have been like Kuhn. Uh, on the one hand, I kind of dig it. On the other hand, it requires at least three people die in order for you to have the, all the hints. <laughs> yeah, so, like, the thing is, the people we see succeed in this test, I think one out of the five we see succeed actually did the test. Everyone else is just blindly... <laughs> oh, yeah, no, and the one who actually, like, figured out the test and did it properly was Shibisu. <laughs> so, actually, just because I really, really like this test, we've sort of been talking around why the tower's uh, tests are so stupid and arbitrary, but I love this test because it is the perfect test for what this tower's real purpose is. So I'm, I'm skipping a little bit ahead to an explanation because it's after the crown game where we get this um, conversation. But the proctor of the door test and Lara Rowe actually have a conversation with each other about some of the things that happened over the course of these tests. The real purpose of this tower isn't to, you know, find people with strong desires that can, you know, reach out and grasp it or anything hopeful like that. It's to find powerful people who have the ability to go against the will of the ruler of the tower. The door test, you're supposed to accept the tower's rules. It's filtering out people who will try to resist, who will try to outthink the tower. Someone like Kun is extremely dangerous because he forms alliances when the implication of the rules are or you're supposed to kill everybody. To a large extent, it is arbitrary because everyone who's in the tower is incredibly powerful. So getting rid of them when they're not at their the peak of their power. And that's also why everyone going into the tower as a regular is so cocksure because they're told you have the power to make it to the top. A lot of them probably don't. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I'm just getting like American Idol like vibes from this. <laughs> you should be on American Idol. You're going to definitely... <laughs> They invite some people on just so they can make fun of them in the first couple of floors. <laughs> I mean, kind of. I would not put it past Jihad. I'm with Jake on this explanation. I've got theories. So, yeah, I guess I guess we'll go into this deeper then. But I guess the real disconnect I'm having there is um, whether or not the person in control of the tower decides who the tower selects. That's a good point, because we don't really we we don't know anything about Jihad yet. That's sort of an important thing. So we don't know if it's Jihad specifically who is in control or if the tower itself has a power. Like, we know the tower has a power to it, but we don't know if it has a consciousness to it. We know a few things about Jihad. Uh, we can actually interpolate a lot based on what we know. Just looking at the rankers, who are people who got to the top, got their wish, and then were given positions of authority. They got to where Jihad was, and he probably bribed them. Because if you're strong enough to get to him, you're probably strong enough to un to dethrone him. He doesn't want that. He bribes you. He wants greedy people I mean, to climb the tower. Do we get confirmed that? Because the rankers are then ranked. And then it pits them against each other and not focusing on him. We learn that Jihad has his princesses, which aren't born of his own loins. They're people who he they're women who he considers to be exceptionally powerful he grants them a bit of his power and a special sword kind of like Thanos does. well no the, the sword isn't a requirement there's only 13 swords oh, the sword isn't a requirement 
there's only 13 swords and there's more princesses, right? But the princesses are not allowed to sleep with a man and they're not allowed to have children because doing so would pass their incredible power given by Jihad onto the next generation. It's all about it's all about power and control because mm-hmm. he's the one who's yep. controlling who gets the power and how that power is distributed to whom when it's distributed, all that. And it's the swords, too. He's a petty tyrant at the top of this tower. He got up there first. He doesn't want anybody else to take what he got. That is my, that is my interpretation. The swords are another example of this. He plays favorites with certain princesses, uh, the ones that he feels he's more able to control. I mean, princesses willing chose to get a vasectomy or um, hysterectomy. <laughs> what we know so far about the Black March it's entirely possible that Yuri proved herself to the point where she should get one of the 13 month weapons. I don't know why there's 13. We'll probably find out eventually. She was given one that does not listen to women. <laughs> like she was essentially given a useless one. The first thing we learn about her is she wants to shake up the tower by helping an irregular. John doesn't want that. So of course he gives her the one weapon that won't listen to her. That's the reason why floor two, which should have one test to let you go to the next floor, has 30 extra tests to see if you're worthy to go to the next test because everything in the tower is arbitrary. Mm -hmm. It's not built to really test you. It's built to weed out certain individuals. And I understand that. I understand the door test is inherently unfair. It's inherently not an intellectual test. It's when everyone talking about it keeps needing to be like, ah, yes, we're so smart by solving this test. And it's not just one character who does that. It's multiple characters. If anything, if anything, you it can be a binary choice, which when the door test was explained to me, especially when, you know, alligator guy was just like, look, we could either open a door and it work, we be eliminated. Or we could not open a door and we die. So, like, I'd rather live, <laughs> you know. And we should probably explain the door test. You're led into a room. There are 13 doors. You have 10 minutes. Open the correct door within those 10 minutes or you will die. There are no more hints. It's important to note that before then, there was a line. Only one team at a time will take this test. And sometimes you hear a blood-curdling death scream coming out of the room which only happened if the team inside took more than five minutes. All of these hints put together is just fling open any old random door in under five minutes and you're good. They are all the correct door. Hesitation is defeat. If you take more than five minutes and you then fling open a door, you're done for. I'm kind of wondering if maybe something in the clue got lost in translation that made it a little more obvious in Korean. I think I think because like they were going back and forth between any door versus the right door. So it's like if it was translated, you, you have to choose a specific correct door, not just any door. That could make a huge difference because you're like, if I was told, oh, just open any door within five minutes, I'd be like, oh, oh, I, I don't have to go through any type of calculus to figure out, like, just open a door within five minutes. I think perhaps the vagary of it of that of whether or not it's the right door or a right door might be honestly part of it because the other thing that's important the phrase you have already been given all the hints one uh one team was going around talking to people and basically pointing out the five minutes bit well Mm -hmm. not one team specifically he was was uh, a plant 
chewed up Gumby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, chewed up Gumby, a uh, neon plastic bag man. He was he was the one who spoke to our to Bomb and his team in particular, though we do know that all three of those were plants. I thought he specifically was the one telling the clue to everyone. It's like, did you know everyone who solved it solved it within five minutes? The ones who didn't died. Um. So, so the thing about that is the only the only t- time we see him like any of those three talking to anybody is when he's talking to Kun, and we see all three of them talking to the proctor of the door test afterward. So, my impl- the implication therein for me is that whoever seemed like the most would be the most receptive, or maybe the least receptive, because again, the tower is very arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Well, they're purposely trying to weed out the people who will overthink this. And we learn in a bit of a flashback about Kun that um, the reason he's an outcast is that his sister was chosen as one of the princesses. And you might be thinking, how does that make Kun an outcast? Well, there was a rumor that he and his sister were uh, close, we'll put it. And uh, so he is, you know, stained by that rumor. And so is she as well. And so is she as well. And she's like, we know the truth. Don't trust anybody else. We only have ourselves to rely on is what his sister tells him. And he lives by don't trust anybody else. People are meant to be manipulated to your own ends when your own strength either isn't enough or it isn't worthy of the challenge. And so Kun just keeps repeating that mantra in his head. Every time he starts thinking about the hint uh, Chewed Up Gumby gave him, he's like, no, don't trust anybody else. That guy could just be messing with me. And if he had just listened to that hint, like Rock did. I mean, if you just blindly followed the test, you would have been fine. If we do learn that Jihad is the one that creates the tests, he's trying to make people just arbitrarily accept whatever he says is law. Well, here's the big thing, Sam. They haven't even gotten to this floor's test yet. Kind of, but not because um, the the test is the end of what they're currently doing. A bunch of teams do end up getting through this puzzle, uh, including our boy Shibisu and his team. Can we take a second to talk about my favorite one, which is the holy cleric of the god ho ho who just oh. read, who prayed to ho ho to tell him which door was correct. However, oh, normally God. these prayers only have a 30% success rate. I hope we don't <laughs> die. It worked. <laughs> and then like, like he's he's uh he's doing this holy prayer of ho 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 and his teammates are like huh this doesn't seem like it would work and then he explains it only has a 30 percent success rate but you have to believe and then they're terrified and then it works because they opened a door before five minutes and then they start praying and the proctor's like okay he came to the correct solution by the wrong method i guess he still wins go on have a good day (laughs) and she's like it's not even worth the time to explain it's not (laughs) Not you guys have fun (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's a, it's another important thing to point out that the proctor of the door test turned to Kun and was like, man, that bag you're carrying, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? Damn, that perceptive. <laughs> yeah, uh, door test proctor. I don't remember his name, but her name. I think. No, I'm it's pretty hard. Sure. Everyone's very pretty. They're very, they're very androgynous. Yeah, everyone is bishy in this. Lerero is also a dude and he's extremely bishy. Well, anyway, uh, door test proctor, he or she, whatever their pronouns are. Um, <laughs> the pronouns are door. Pro- pronoun is door. 
Um, but I, I love their gag um, where they are a coffee aficionado. And it's like, I do love a good cup of coffee, except they only drink instant coffee. Instant coffee. coffee. <laughs> it's we, like there's these really nice teapots, like really intricate. And it's instant coffee. And we get the bit. We already talked about the discussion Leo Rowe has with them uh, later on. Uh, specifically, it's got a really good gag where uh, they're like, oh, yes, would you love some coffee to drink with? And he's like, I don't really like coffee. Could you do a, a cafe latte? And they're like, ah, oh, yes, a latte. That's very common. And then just hands them a boiled cup of water and an instant stir pack of cafe latte mix. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see the disappointment on his face. Like, I thought you were a coffee snob. Like, <laughs> there's, there's even a shot of a like actual latte machine. <laughs> Which in the background. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, everybody gets through, and we have a brief cutaway back to the Kelling Fields. Uh, as apparently, while all these shenanigans are going on, there's another test happening in another area of the same floor. Except instead of going down from 400 to 200, they've gone from 400 to just three. Got through the uh, the Killing Field test, and uh, apparently, this is a bit of an oopsie because there's supposed to be. <laughs> more people you're supposed to follow the rules of the tower that's the point you can't just fail all the participants and and that proctor is like i messed up i messed up i messed up just shove this team in with the other gang in with the other group okay and we'll pray that the guy who runs this floor doesn't notice <laughs> and it's like okay sure we'll do that otherwise we're both gonna hang it's fine and you might notice a familiar figure among this uh team from the other testing area a young woman is among them i mean kind of <laughs> you know honestly i like this because um and we might be tipping the hand a bit by by me phrasing it this way but they kind of sell it that it's going to be a fake out and not who you think it is i yeah. mean i i didn't even notice that they were trying to allude to something i just it's it's someone in like with blonde hair is all that really <laughs> a blonde hair and freckles I mean, yeah, but that's not a. That, I guess in this, that's distinguishing. And that's all. That's also how Bomb describes her. Yeah, that's the only way that she's ever described. But anyway, it's time for the crown game, which is not a test. It's a bonus game. And the winner of the crown game uh, will be able to just skip all the other tests on this BS floor and go straight up to floor three. Yep, because this floor didn't need more tests that weren't tests. This was my personal favorite, even more so than the door game. Oh, I loved this. As I am uh, reading through this section, like, uh, Lero is going through the rules of the game. It's King of the Hill. Three, I'm, well, no, it's it's not just that it's King of the Hill. I'm like three sentences into this, and I'm like, oh, they are deliberately trying to make this confusing so people don't know what they're signing up for. This is a scam. This this is meant to screw with people's heads. And the really cool thing is uh, Kun actually also immediately calls this out as a scam. Yep. Um, and then it's immediately after this. And this is the reason why I say I trust Tower of God that when something weird happens, that it's a mystery to solve rather than a mistake on the author's part. Because this was the point where I'm like, these tests are bullshit. There is something wrong here. Immediately after this nonsense crown game where it's just King of the Hill, except with 30 other special rules attached, it's deliberately phrased to be confusing and feel like 30 rules because there's only like mm -hmm. three extra rules. But it's phrased in such a weird roundabout way that it's hard to tell what anything is. 
And it was immediately after the crown game ends that we get this conversation between Leo Rowe and the door test proctor explaining that, yes, you did notice something that was intentional. And that was the point where, for me, I was totally sold on this series because showing something that's wrong and having the knowledge that the author is probably doing this on purpose and you're supposed to figure out why this isn't why this is off. I love that. And the fact that they tip their mm. hand on a big mystery early on lets you know that this is what you're, you know, this is what you're engaging the story for. It, it is King of the Hill. There is a throne at the center of the room and a crown. Whoever is holding the crown after five minutes, that team wins. Or you can wear. Well, no, it's it, oh, it's a very either confusing or. game. <laughs> exactly. You either are the team holding the crown at the end of five minutes or you have somebody on your team wearing the crown and sitting the throne. And that instantly ends the round and your but team I have wins. questions. But if you do that, then the person who wore the crown and sat the throne has to stay uh, there. They can't get up. Otherwise, you forfeit. Oh, I get it. I know that that'd be confusing mm. because everyone we see sit on the throne immediately forfeits. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I was confused, because I'm just like, you either have to decide, you have to decide whether you're sitting or not. And but once but once you make the decision that you're sitting, you have to remain seated. Don't worry, if you're ever confused about what the optimum game strategy for this uh, game is, you will hear every single team tell you it. <laughs> And the thing is, this is also a uh, voluntary participation. There are five rounds and the team that wins at the end is the winner and gets to skip the rest of the But four. it's first come, but, first serve and only five teams can participate in a round, including the previous winner team. Like, it, it's so stupid and arbitrary and confusing. But they do this specifically to weed out. Like, I mean, this is, af this is immediately after their... What they're trying to do is give the team that killed all the people in their entry room a free pass to the next floor so they don't have to deal with them is what the meta reason for this is. It's inherently an unfair game that would be very beneficial to someone who is physically overpowering because they don't want to deal with them. And it's not just the, it's not just the team from the other selection group, but also it's been made pretty clear at this point, especially over the course of this uh, crown game, that they don't really want to deal with a knock either. So getting rid of her would also be fine by them. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so it's no surprise that team tracksuit uh, step into the first round. A knock immediately is just like, all right, leave it to me as the one other team joined and she one V threes them, defeats them all. And then it's like, OK, so the optimal idea is since Anak and Hots are super powerful, you just give Tracksuit Boy the crown and put him on the throne and they play defensive mode for the next four rounds. No, Anak puts the crown on and sits on the throne. She's like, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm and, fine. And like her logic there was she's just like, don't feel like it. And I'm like, oh, is this like some secret magic that the person who gets the crown just doesn't feels lazy and that's how they're going to enforce this? No. <laughs> This person no. just decided to be lazy. She just legitimately believes that she deserves to wear the crown because she is the best. And anyone who does not, you know, have that rank is beneath her. I mean, that's mm -hmm. not even her personality, though. It is her personality. Her personality is vengeance. No. Like, we get a flashback establishing that. Her motivation is vengeance, but, like, she she does also have those queen vibes. Yeah, but I mean, she does have vengeance. I will give you that. But she also has a status like she has a complex. 
Mm -hmm. She's got a huge superiority complex. So the next round begins, and this is two other teams join. One team that we haven't really spent much time with, and then there's Sleepy Boy team, which includes uh, Luray, who which includes Luray, who is uh, Discount Aizawa. He's Sleepy Boy. Uh, Serena, the old woman, and then a third guy. I don't know who he is. <laughs> There's a lot of characters in this. You see, you will recognize in the background. You're like, are they ever going to be important? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. But uh, Lorraine's just like, like, yeah, no, don't worry about it. Uh, so long as you keep the rest of them distracted, I'll be able to deal with a knock. And they're like, okay. They engage in battle. Uh <laughs> Shibisu is basically just flailing around and insulting people in order to distract them long enough for Hots to finish his 1v1 and then come save his ass. He makes some comment about how, oh, I can use my uh, world-class martial arts. And like, Hots and Anak are like, hey, you were talking all that good game before. Uh, we're we're going to trust you. And it's one of those ones where Shibisu like, is like, oh, you really believed in me? I genuinely don't know if they cared enough to pay attention. <laughs> like, they might have actually <laughs> believed he had game and just knew that I mean, he was beneath them anyway. He does have game, though. Like, compared to the other competitors, he's not. Mm -hmm. they, they're the strongest team because they're not being weighed down by Bam. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. Yeah, Bam is a, is a millstone around uh, around Conan Rock, but we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. Proven his greatest strategy is opening his arms to be attacked. <laughs> Basically. The important part is that Lorray is apparently in tune with the Shisu and is able to do a big Kamehameha beam to try to take out Anak. And, you know, she, she dodges the beam and he's like, hey, you should probably just give up. I can attack you from anywhere in the Serena. You're stuck on the throne, even if you're like dancing around because it's a big throne. It's it's obviously oversized and it gives Anak some. It would be it would be too big for Rock, who is like 12 feet tall. Yeah, he's huge. So it gives, you know, whoever's on the throne some room to dance around and dodge attacks. And that's what Anak is doing. And she's like, attack from anywhere, you say. All right, then. <laughs> and this it's at this point that we learn she's got some sauce, too. Because she's also got one of them magic swords. She has Green April, which when she ignites its power, gets really long. It becomes like a, a vine whip sword thing. I'll tell you this, Jacob. It gets big enough. <laughs> yeah, basically. It's big as the plot requires. <laughs> <laughs> which, hey, I've, I've seen dumber diclaves before. Uses her long, long sword to go and ruin the lives of uh, basically every participant. Thankfully, Serena has enough presence of mind to be like, nope, nope, we're outclassed. We're running. We forfeit. Goodbye. <laughs> grabbing her teammates and running back to their uh their staging ground which is like we ain't dying for this bonus game goodbye fortunately her vengeance has been uh wedded only and now she is hungry for violence yep no anak is hungry for violence and green april waking up has alerted black march black march is shaking and is like shaking for violence in bomb's hand and the swords recognize each other and she's like Wait, what the hell? Why is Black March here? And Anak leaps from the throne, kicks in the door of uh, main character team's waiting room. Is like, give me that sword right now before I kill you. Both of which are technically forfeit conditions for the crown game. Point: No one cares about the crown game, even though we continue playing it. It does not matter anymore. 
Yeah, because now yeah. it's now it's entirely about why does this random kid who looks like he definitely shouldn't be here have one of the most powerful weapons that exists anywhere in the tower? Mm -hmm. It's at this point that we also learn that Anak's last name is Jihad. She's one of the princesses. I, th I think at this point she'd been claiming to be a princess before. Uh, no, she hadn't actually claimed the title of princess. She was just talking about how powerful she is. It was Lerero that called her Anak Jihad. This is actually one of my favorite moments because face down with this person that could absolutely splatter him against a wall without even thinking about it. Bomb goes, Black March was lent to me by Lady Yuri. I still need to give it back to her. I'm not giving it to you. I was told not to betray people, especially girls, because that's what Rachel taught him. Yeah, we get a flashback of Rachel uh, Manchurian candidating him to never betray women. <laughs> when we get to the end of this, I've got some thoughts on Rachel. <laughs> I think Rachel is a real upstanding woman and that you should be, you know... I, I think we'll have a discussion about <laughs> this later, because... Yes. Yep. Women are queens and men are around to serve them. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> Good thing you only said it in a recorded medium. <laughs> anyway, Bomb's resolve is so powerful that it, it makes Kun learn the thing that it took Jiren an entire freaking tournament of power to figure out. Huh, maybe trust is good. Uh, I was having fun and now I'm remembering that Dragon Ball Super exists. <laughs> now I'm and remembering Dragon Ball Super exists. Yeah. That was a tournament arc. <laughs> <laughs> and so Lerero shows up like, hey, uh, you're not allowed to be doing this. I need you to freaking leave right now. And Anok's like, okay, hold on. Before we do that, I want to add a new rule to the game. If Bomb's team is able to win the rest of the rounds, rounds three, four, and five, then I will give him Green April. If I will not try to take Black March. And I will not, I will give him Green April and I will not try to take Black March. If they lose, he has to give me Black March. Kun, who is so motivated by Bomb's resolve, is like, we, of course we automatically accept this. Let's get in there. You extras don't know that main characters like us always wait until later to join for the most dramatic moment. He actually says that word for word. He's like halfway aware of like, yeah, I'm the protagonist. You know that the rules don't apply to me. Of course I have to save the day. This entire <laughs> monroe really skates the line of being satire. <laughs> like it's real yeah. close at points, especially with as we keep establishing the blooper reel co comments will sometimes just mock what was previously said. Mm -hmm. Like um, Dora, uh, Dora Proctor's um, entire coffee addiction is in those blooper reel panels. I, I just gotta say, this is my favorite moment because of the I love Kun, and it and we get some great uh, character growth from him in that moment. Is it character growth, though, or is he just accepting, yes, her not actively trying to kill us constantly is more beneficial than at least... Than the alternative. Or, yeah. 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 I believe from what we see that he truly uh, has come to understand, maybe not fully, but is at least warming up to the idea of, you know, trust in others. And there's more than just self-serving ends. Yeah, I agree with Sam here, because obviously that failed spectacularly with the rest with the last test. And, you know, it's like, maybe I should, you know, kind of trust my teammates because they might be stronger in areas I am not. Like mm -hmm. blindly going through doors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's I honestly think it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. He's he's calculating the odds that this is the way that gets her to not just instantly attack us. And it's like. 
I don't think I can beat her. Like, just from a logical perspective, the thing that gets her to not attack them is the optimal strategy. But I think he is also sort of accepting that, you know, I, you know, Bomb has shown that he's more than what he appears to be. Rock has been shockingly useful for how goofy he is. Maybe I should just give this a try. Maybe I should uh, throw myself into this. And then he goes full freaking MVP and gets play of the game over and over again. <laughs> yes. Yes. The only part I don't like about this is that poor Rock barely gets any screen time because oh. this is <laughs> this is the Kun show 24-7. Because at this point, Rock is pretty one-dimensional. I, I got to point out, this is like a, one of the few saving graces I had reading Tower of God was I'd already gotten pretty fed up of hearing every single team say their own slightly different opinions about what's happening. When we finally get to like the big thing with Kuhn is they all say the same sentence, which is certainly, ah, yes, with this change in the dynamic, this is now a game of speed, a game of speed. And everyone is saying the same thing, but you have like a little bit in the center that just says skip. Because it just skips them all thinking the exact same thought, and I'm like, good. Is aware. Just, just, just skip this part. You don't need to read this. Yep. <laughs> Basically, if I made a manhwa or a manga, I would include these little annotations. Just like, you don't need to know this. Just, just, if you want to keep advancing the plot, just, just skip ahead. Like, five. they're all saying the same thing in their internal <laughs> monologues. We got it. Go. <laughs> Go, Kun does, because this boy is fast as fuck. He rushes straight to the throne, picks up the crown, and is like, okay, game over. Ah, oh, but that would be too easy. So he puts his crown in the bag, pulls out a knife, and says, come at me, losers. And then the losers come at him, and he's like, actually, you know what? Don't come at nah. him, because they're like... What are you doing? Like they're they're so completely shocked and and honestly kind of insulted by how cocky he's being. At that point, he says, "Actually, mm -hmm. you people are all beneath me." He then retrieves the crown from his bag and tosses it into the middle of all of the enemies. You guys fight over it. I'll clean up what's left. It's so like like this level of smug is just outstanding. Also. That move now uh -huh. makes a whole lot more sense when I found out I misread that you had to be sitting on the throne or holding the crown, not both. So I'm like, oh, he's giving up yeah. his chance of winning, not just saying, eh, squabble amongst yourselves, I'll guard the throne. Because I'm like, ooh, guarding the throne sounds like the optimal strategy. On the surface, he's saying squabble amongst yourselves, but he's also being so incredibly irritating that it's going to make them attack him out of rage and he is able to use the fact that they are not thinking clearly to uh 1v like 9 <laughs> and take out a whole bunch of people giving time for rock and bomb to catch up and get to the throne and then my absolute favorite bet happens because uh, throughout all of this, there is one of the regulars, one of the participants, who is a tiny little fox spirit thing. It's like a little sprite sits on your shoulder. Oh, she's a fox and he's or like, she's uh, a squirrel? I thought I she was a fairy. Is. Yeah, she I meant it's a fairy. fairy squirrel thing. Like, it's, it's... It's, it's inconsequential, but yes, there is a tail and small. <laughs> and soulless dead eyes. <laughs> Black eyes. The tiny furry says... Aha, while all these big people are fighting, I can just pick up the crown and run over to the throne, and therefore I will be the winner. 
and is in the process of doing this, at which point Bomb walks over to the throne, sits down, Kun reaches into his bag, pulls out a crown and puts it on Bomb's head. And it's like, wait, what? Ha. And that's and that's when the crown starts disintegrating into dust. And it's and Kun goes, behold, the magical. Or now he actually says abracadabra. Yeah. <laughs> the magical item duplicating bag. We have one of my uh, favorite side panels, which is the one girl in the background just drooling, going, that bag looks expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because she's here for money. There are bits of foreshadowing that I didn't notice. Like, I didn't notice the, the bag getting caught on the barrier that will come up in a bit. But, like, we'd seen um, Kun pull all kinds of stuff that should not fit in that bag out of that bag. Like he's been producing all kinds of uh, wacky uh, props and whatnot by this point. And, you know, I, I should also, because, you know, this is an auditory medium. When I say wacky props, I mean like things like uh, knives and, and weapons like that. You know, it's not like he's wacky. like pulling out rubber duckies or anything, but like, you know, stuff that should not be able to fit in the bag. And the bag itself is able to block any damage. I think it deflects one of the sniper bullets uh, in addition to blocking um, giant sword swings from huge dudes. Yeah, the paneling on that's pretty funny because he's holding his arm out to the side. So it's almost like he the bullet was going to miss him and he blocked it by moving the bag in its way. Honestly, I could see Kun doing that just to flex <laughs> on someone. It's probably bad paneling. It might also be bad paneling because as established, as established, that is a big weakness of Tower of God. But I could also see Kun doing that. The Crown game has a lot of establishing shots that don't establish much because they're from such weird angles. They also tend to be super far away. Yeah, that, yeah. that was a bit of a problem. I watched a clip of the anime of the Crown game, based, uh, and specifically the point where main character team takes the field. They truncated a lot, but it was so much easier to follow in the mm. anime. <laughs> It was clear that the power of foresight <laughs> was being used there. Or, uh, Tower uh, of God also has the say. problem of like following but, motion because sometimes it doesn't have like a clear line of where it's going. But either way, that's round three. Now we move over to round four and more teams take the field and Rock's like, all right, I'll fight all of you and defend the little black turtle with my life. And then Kun just kind of like sits on the throne and reclines back against Bam and is like, nah, don't do anything. It's like, what, what do you mean don't do anything? I mean, don't do anything. Don't fight. We're going to save our strength for round five. Well, then how are we going to win this round? Oh, just watch. And one of the teams is like, all right, guys, let's just uh, put aside our differences. We'll team up for right now, kick their asses, and then we'll squabble over the crown. Sound good? Sound good. All right, team, break. One, two, three. And then he gets punched in the face by a guy. By one of the people next to him. As one of the teams wholly turns on the other two. And they are apparently so incredibly powerful that they win this outnumbered battle quite handily. And it's at this point that Kun goes, yeah, no, I've been doing this whole alliance building thing since the very beginning. Uh, I went around during the killing field point. I found strong people and I said, hey, this killing thing is kind of lame. Do you want to just like come with me and I'll get you out of this situation, continue to bring you up the towers. And when I need you, you'll do a favor for me. It's like, all right, cool. Climb in my bag. And he had... He had three people in the bag, and apparently some of them couldn't go through the Shinsu as well as he could, and that's why he had to tug harder on the bag. And 
the door proctor was like, hey, that bag's pretty heavy. Almost like it's got three whole people in it. Once this reveal happened, I um, I did actually retain the uh, door proctor mentioning that the bag was oddly heavy. Uh, but uh, I actually didn't even notice the bag uh, getting caught on the Shinsu barrier. So are these people in the bag, are there duplicates of them that have been taking the test? Because I didn't recognize any of their character models from earlier on. But no, that's the thing. They've been in his bag the entire time. No, there were there were 203 people that made it through that uh, that made it through the killing floor. It's it's the situation where the door game was supposed to get rid of Kun because he's the type of person who cheats. Yep. And uh, at one point during a rest between the door game and the crown game, Kun went and let them all out of the bag and was like, OK, when I uh, tie my hair up with my bandana, that's going to be the signal for you to go in. And he did that for round four. And so his plants win the fight. And then they immediately surrender <laughs> and time for round five. And I just love how he so very thoroughly wiped the floor with those two rounds. It's amazing. We get to round five. Uh, <laughs> this round happened. <laughs> <laughs> then round five happens. It almost it almost look. Um, I'm trying to defend you. I, I like you. Bomb simps so but... hard, he almost dies. Yeah, Bomb's Manchurian programming <laughs> yeah, activates and yeah. he needs to defend the host. <laughs> because <laughs> it's at this point that the mysterious team from the other testing area takes the field. They're all wearing cloaks, so you can't recognize them. That's how you can tell they're being mysterious, because, you know, you can't be mysterious without yep. cloak. Two of them immediately mm -hmm. go to protect the throne, the young woman and the big boy. What's his name? Yep. It's not no, important. It's, it's one of the ones that's really funny. Uh, there's also, like, Mr. Super Duper is also my other favorite name. The mysterious young woman and ghost go to protect the throne, and... The, the young woman says something at some point and Bomb's like, wait a minute, I know that voice. Rachel, is that you? And Ghost stands, very poignantly stands between Bomb and her like, no, you do not perceive it. And meanwhile, the third member of her team, the other best girl, goes out to do battle with the people who are going to be assaulting the throne. And it's a, it looks like another situation of a whole bunch of teams are going to be coming together for a big coordinated attack. Until another one of them goes and beats the absolute crap out of everybody. Uh, a girl in a exceptionally skin tight suit and a Master Yi mask. Like she's in freaking League of Legends. Oh, she's wearing a leotard. A skin tight suit. It's a leotard. Yeah, it's a leotard. One of the members of the uh, killed everybody selection group team even uh, calls her out on this. It's like, are you uncomfortable in that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> which, is, which is why Endorsey is also. You'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's realistic, realistic comments here. It's like, is, is that actually comfortable? <laughs> like, I feel some wedgies coming on. Judging by the art we get, there's definitely some wedgies coming on because they love drawing the butt crack in that leotard. Uh, yep. <laughs> in Dorsey, because that's the girl's name, she, uh, she engages with leotard in a battle. And... I, I love Endorsey. She's able to apparently like summon big discs as shields and has a needly thing that she uses as her weapon. Are they shields or portals? They're shields. Okay. I, I think they, they're, well, I think they are. Because she always summons them as yeah, air. I thought they were So I, I thought things are going through and like getting deflected that way. Well, if they are going through, then they would be a portal. 
But then, I'm pretty sure if they're deflecting, then it would be a shield. So I'm pretty sure it's just deflecting. I I know at least in some cases the edges of it are catching weapons because it's a little bit later, but we see um, the extremely long uh, green April uh, hit one of these discs and it hits like the top and the bottom of the the circle and it just stops. So I think it's both. The important thing is that Leotard girl was smart enough to attack in Dorsey's heels because she's wearing heels in this battle. <laughs> no, nope, it breaks the heel and then Dorsey falls on her on her ass. And that gives uh, Leotard girl the opening to leap over everybody else, including Rock and Ghost. And goes straight for bombs. So that leaves only the last mysterious young woman to leap in and take the blow. And oh, look, it's Rachel. Rachel just gets beamed directly in the face by uh, Leotard Girl's weapon, which is a which is a staff. I don't think we pointed that out yet. And mm. bomb begins to simp so hard he almost dies because Leotard Girl is going to go in for the killing blow. And bomb's like, no, must protect Rachel. Leaps off of the throne, forfeiting the game, and takes a pretty meaty whack on the yeah. back of the head he does the ultimate he just well near ultimate Doesn't it sip. stab through him it doesn't just conk him it breaks his head in but what i mean is like he takes the ultimate simp he he, he does the ultimate and he, act and i just like immediately like what washes over me is like immediately like Wow, he did that, but also sadness of like, wow, he <laughs> wow, really, he did, really that. did that. We can talk about this later. I've got theories. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is also uh, one thing that happens uh, in addition to him taking the hit, though, because suddenly something hits Leotard. Yeah, though. yeah, and we get to find out later from uh, Lara yeah, Rowe that uh, apparently it's Shinso being natively activated by uh, Bomb, but I. So, does that split her head in half? No. Because... No, it's no. like... But, but it when we see her it's, later, it's she's got, like, her head is being held together by her helmet, or was it always like that? I don't I don't think it's held together. I thought it was an eye patch. Yeah, it's, it's a fancy oh, okay. eye I, patch. I thought... Because her mask thing had gotten split, and we actually see in a panel that the attack that Bama unintentionally did cut into her eye that's why she was screaming yeah. holding her face and bleeding profusely okay yeah she's blinded one eye i i had thought that had been much more severe so that makes sense mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean losing an eye is pretty severe but yeah i know what you're getting at thus ends the crown game because the time runs out and uh nobody won rachel's group yeah i'm sure this wasn't the, this wasn't the spin we were all expecting was it <laughs> Except because that bombs team didn't win, that means Anak gets the Black March. Damn it, there goes Best Girl. But that's not the end. Because, she, yeah, Anak cannot figure out how to get it to work. It seems to reject her. How dare it? <laughs> it rejects her. And I guess the spirit of Black March showed up enough to go like, no, you're a girl. I don't talk to girls. Get me a boy. Give me that guy I was talking to earlier. Like a track you know? shoot boy. He was pretty good looking. I think he's pretty cute. <laughs> Yes. Anak goes up to tracksuit boy, gives him black margins like call upon its power. All right. Hey, sword, can you give me a prop? Maybe you are not. Maybe you are not a male. Are you talking about my tiny penis? Are you saying my baby Johnson doesn't exist? Oh, my God. Yes. I am a man. I promise I am a man. Then why is the sword rejecting you? 
You're not a hot man. This this exactly. this sword is very superficial. She literally says she has a type and bomb is it. My favorite yes. part is when she's um gives up on giving the sword to him, a uh, drunk old lady comes banging on the door and <laughs> like, hey tracksuit, you wanna hang and out? Lizard girl is just uh oh, you got lady company. That's pretty cool. I'm gonna leave. And we hear in the corners it's like, oh no, not my Johnson. And like, oh jeez. No, 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 no. The thing that happens is uh, Anok says, actually, you got Lady Company coming over at night. Maybe you're not as lame of a man as I thought. And Trexy Boy immediately goes, oh, wait, what? This old hag? No way. You're, you've got it all wrong, Anok. <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's when Serena, you know, starts yelling at him and is implied to kick him in the nuts. How dare you call her an old lady? Oh, I, She's I barely assumed over she 30. just got incredibly affectionate against his wishes. Was I what I thought the implication was there. Yeah, because, like, she's not an old lady, like old hag like she's just she's like 20 tops like, like she's maybe like she's maybe pushing 30 and everyone's calling her old lady she is definitely very into a potential relationship with tracksuit because despite what he's she did try to take him drinking he does keep yeah pursuing him pretty uh pretty intently and you blame her <laughs> tracksuit guys is, is, he's got yeah. killer martial arts yeah, in the in the comedy of errors that is this uh i guess filler arc <laughs> where they're all um bam is in the hospital a bunch of people are in the hospital to be fair bam's just the most in the hospital yeah. well yeah because he got his head caved in he's a little little that he'll be fine he'll be fine just needs to sleep it off he's been asleep for three days i'm sure he'll be fine yeah and rachel we see talk rock definitely is not worried not at all Please wake up, little turtle. But, um, <laughs> that is cute. But uh, yeah, we have Rachel and Coon are sitting by his set bedside, and we get a whole bunch of exposition from Rachel. Kind of. <laughs> She's like, oh yeah, no, Bomb was always super lonely, so I want to become his friend, but I've always wanted to see the stars. I would imagine them, and the beauty of what I imagined would overwhelm me. I can only imagine what they'd be like in person. So I need to get to the top of the tower so I can leave the tower and see the true night sky. Yeah, her exposition kind of just made me more sad for Bob. Oh, same. Absolutely same. The fact that he doesn't have that personhood, mm. he is completely absorbed with what Rachel mm. wants. And the fact that Rachel happened to be, say for instance, she just happened to be out of sight to pursue her dreams for, even if it was just like a week or a month, he is completely... There's nothing in those tunnels uh, besides him. The only thing he has is a dirty cloth. I'm like, Rachel, you've got some pretty nice clothes. Why is your boy just hanging out with just a single sheet to cover him? And the fact that she, like, alludes to the fact she's like, oh, you don't understand. He's just super lonely. He's kind of like one of the poors I befriended because he was yeah, so kinda. lonely. Yeah, there's. A, I got a lot of that mm -hmm. kind of vibe. What really gave me that vibe is the end of her conversation with Kuhn, where she's just like, you don't understand. My dreams are too big for him. He'd just weigh me down. So could you not tell him anything about me being here? That'd be really embarrassing for me. That is not the context. Yeah. And actually, there's a scene coming up that's really important that, to me, made me look at the characters, specifically Rachel and Baum, differently. That is essentially the context. No, it's not. Yes, it is. She want, no, she wants Bomb to follow her. She doesn't want him to know she was there because if he knows she's there, he'll stop moving forward. She is dragging him along her dream. 
but but we don't have enough exposition we don't have enough background to know why that is is she truly selfless or is she actually saying this person has nothing but i want them to kind of follow we know enough about her to know she's not selfless no yeah it's not a matter of selflessness but i just feel like a lot of it depends on her motivation for trying to encourage him to see the stars like is this something that you feel like he would organically appreciate or is it something that you're just like well, I want it. It's just the thing. No, it's 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 the fact that he's following her is inconsequential. That isn't necessarily something she planned on. I am with Jake a bit on this, and there is a very important scene that comes up in just a bit. But I'm I'm just gonna say this. Apropos of nothing else, if jihad was not a factor, the tower is obviously a metaphor for self-improvement. It's an yes, it's an obviously it's a metaphor for you are literally rising higher and facing greater challenges because you are growing in as a your person. station. Yeah, because you were you can be born on a level and that's where you will stay. Mm-hmm. But if you were one of the chosen, you have the opportunity to improve yourself and reach the next level or reach the top of the tower wherever you so fall. And so, I mean, yeah. And, and bomb was literally at the bottom with nothing with no opportunity, with no chance to grow and living a miserable, sad, lonely life. Rachel is the only thing he has. That's why he follows her. In the act of following her, he has made friends. He's expanded his horizons. He's had experiences. If he keeps following her, he'll keep having that. It will cause him to grow into an actual person instead of, you know, simp cave boy. And And that's the key. This is skipping ahead a little bit, but all this stuff about bomb making connections and under intuiting people and stuff like that. A little bit later in this next bit that we're going into, Rachel has a dream where she reaches the top of the tower and sees the stars. And then she looks back and bomb isn't even looking at her. He's He's surrounded by the friends he's made following her. This is not bomb's story it's Rachel's and bomb fades away, leaving her alone with her dream, leaving her alone in the stars. And she wakes up crying. It's not Bomb's story. It's Rachel's story because she does not recognize bomb. What his needs are. She mm-hmm. thinks that her dream is enough for anybody, for everybody. And she is perfectly willing. And that's why it's really important that it's not just coincidence that Baum is following her. Rachel wants Baum to stay obsessed with her, wants him to continue following her because she, in a very selfish way, values the way he uh, treats her. I have, for clarity's sake, this is something that is apparent in the anime. Am I reading into that? No, that's, uh, I didn't get that far in the anime. This is what I'm Maybe reading from the, from the uh, actual... Webtoon, yeah. That dream to me was everything. This is not Bomb's story. The reason why he's a bit of a blank slate, the reason why he, you know, fails upward into success is because it's not his character journey. It's Rachel's. I would guess that the ultimate lesson at the end is going to be these two realizing that the journey has made them both greater people and being the closest friends that either of them have the connection that they share is more important than whatever dream the top of the tower can give completely different interpretation but i'm willing to accept yeah that i one. i don't think this story leads to a happy ending for rachel oh, pro- oh probably not <laughs> well no that's kind of what you're saying though is this is them two intertwined and their dream is to reach no it's the 
Bam needs to realize that this person doesn't care about him. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so that's... Bomb recognizing, Bomb recognizing that Rachel is toxic is part of Rachel's character journey. I, I, I just have a different interpretation. Yeah, same, but yeah. whatever. Other interpretations are fine. Jake and I could be entirely off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't have a lot to go off with Rachel, in all fairness. We have the four scenes that she's been in that you could probably read multiple ways. There's mm -hmm. probably a much more... There's probably a much more um, kind version of Rachel that I'm sure both of us aren't even on. Like, you could definitely view her as the yeah. princess at the end of the tower. I'm just going to tell you, my interpretation is she is inherently more of a selfish personality than Bomb and is very much taking advantage of him. And I'm not saying that that's not what you said, but it's just it's very much more of a parasitic relationship. I mean, yeah, but Rachel is the parasite. Yeah, I agree with that. Yes, that's what I was saying. The biggest thing that I take away from the dream that she has and when she wakes up crying is part of her realizes that bomb following her is going to have him bring him into his own life that he won't need her anymore. And the fact that she is a selfish, toxic person that hurts her. And that's why she's crying. It's almost an opportunity for her to realize that that, you know, what she's doing is in a way wrong, even if it is going to lead to an improvement in Bomb's life, it's going to lead to suffering for her. I don't I don't think that this is going to be an easy or happy uh, journey for Rachel. And honestly, she may never learn that lesson. That's sort of the key. Bomb, once he starts meeting people, he's kind of fine. Like, Rachel is where a lot of Bomb's, honestly, pretty much all of Bomb's problems come from. Yeah, like she's still his motivation, but he's not talking and thinking about her quite so constantly. The more he's hanging out with Kun and Rock and, you know, getting interpersonal relationships with them and even with the other uh, regulars going up the tower. Yeah, he has a lot of friends already, almost immediately. Well, he has a, he has a lot of friends because he's filling out the friendship survey. That's there not... is also that. But... <laughs> there, okay. Like it, the, the amount they're friends is kind of debatable. <laughs> like they're filling a quota. But it's better than nothing, which is what he literally had. And if he has more than literally nothing, he can build on that. I suppose I, I think the main difference I have is I, I don't think Rachel has the amount of control she kind of needs to have for like your theory to be the case, because I don't think she had any ability to control that bam followed her or if that was even a thing that could happen and that's kind of crucial to like her wanting him to follow her i mean that's a perfectly fair interpretation yeah i don't know but we've we've been circling this for a bit um mm. where were we we were in the uh interstitial filler bits where people are having just fun in the dorms um and essentially yeah. what happens is uh bomb wakes up after three days goes days. hey oh, wow oh it's three days after the yeah, the timeline is weird. Because yeah, the timeline's a little bit weird. It's three days after the crown game ends that the next test will begin. And the concern is that Bomb won't wake up in time and therefore he'll miss out on the next test starting. And that's I mean, going and that's going to make him fail automatically. Yeah, but that drama lasts for literally like two panels before they're like, you got lucky. The proctor for your test is three days late. No, exactly. Exactly. But that's like why it's important to note. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but like, I'm saying that's a little unnecessarily confusing, but... 
I'm wondering if the the proctor for bombs section of the test being three days late wasn't intentional. I don't buy that that just happened because it's like the thing that was weird about bombs attack against uh, Leotard Girl is he wasn't actively using Shinsu. The, The Shinsu around him just suddenly attacked someone who was assaulting him. Which is something that terrified uh, Leo Rowe, who witnessed it. Like, it's not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to be able to manipulate uh, Shinsu unless you get a contract with the administrator of that floor. And not only did Bomb not have that, it wasn't even like him manipulating the Shinsu. The Shinsu just reflexively defended him. That's weird. Very weird. And that's why when this next test is basically um, Magic College, we're going back to Hogwarts or whatever. Let's put uh, quote marks around test because... Yeah, it's them going to college for their JRPG class. <laughs> There's like a point total that's you need a certain number of points to pass, but we never get told any point totals and people just offhandedly reference. It's, it's test flavored. And apparently you spend your college grades to buy food. Which so. no one else seems to care about. That's only a character trait for one of them. Like it... Or it's a character trait for her because at one point she gets uh, injured and is unable to gain more points because she can't go to class. So everything she spends, she's not getting back. I mean, yeah, but like, I, I don't know. They, the, do, the whole... they, do, they do establish that the first time they there's a meal scene that that's how it works. But like, again, that drama is really only her character and like everyone else is just freely spending their points. So it's like the other thing is that I think is important. You have to have a certain number of points to uh, qualify and it's like, of each of the roles, a certain number of people will be selected. We know that the tower is arbitrary. Like, they're going to pick whoever they want, regardless of the grade. I mean, that's cool then, but they're, they're spending a lot of time talking about points, but never actually telling us about the points is what I'm trying to, from like a meta perspective, reading this was like, okay, I get it, points exist. Are we going to go deeper in that? No, okay. Like, I don't, I don't know. It was not to my taste, I should say. But we do essentially get, like, magical Hogwarts. Uh, Everyone is divided up into their classes, and classes we've been established have been, like, being referenced so far. They're inherently arbitrary, but they are vocabulary in this universe. So we have the fisherman who attacks first and draws attention. We have the... I don't know why I started going through these, because I'm never going to remember all of them. We have the spear, which is the person who attacks... um, the mastermind, essentially. So basically, fisherman, a like high damage uh, fighter. Uh, the spear bearer is more of a tank. Uh, then you have uh, the light bearer is the one I am least clear on. Um, they light up in the darkness. Yeah, that's the way it's phrased. And like, basically, uh, Kun is in this category, and he's kind of learning magic tower Google. <laughs> Well, essentially, the the person, the light bearer now, I remember, is the person who, like, gets information on the fight and, like... Yeah, they use magic Google. The fact they make a joke about it in the thing they introduce is... Uh, <laughs> Lara Rowe is like, uh, hey, you can look up my Wikipedia page. I don't remember <laughs> if he calls it Wikipedia, but it's something close to that. Well, it's, it's Spiritpedia. Yeah, oh, is it? A, a, sub, a yeah. subsidiary of GodTube. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Which is canon. Thing that exists. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, think about all the things that we mere mortals are, are missing. 
Well, we could access if God too. Only, if only. We need to we need to climb the tower and achieve spiritual enlightenment so we can like comment oh. and subscribe. There's a hundred percent top level of the tower is people watching the fights on God Tube. Like <laughs> The next one is uh, the scout, who basically has kind of a bit of a ranger role, if you wanted to um, go with like a party composition sort of thing. They're the ones who have to make all the friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're the diplomatic arm of the, of the team. That's where the that's where the friendship quota is. <laughs> friendship. You want to be friends? We've got the, the wind waker. Uh, wave controller. Wave, wave controller. controller. That's that's wave the controller. mage. They're yep. the ones who can interact yes. with Sinshu and they basically get their own category. They're the best is what's yes. called, essentially. It's one of those ones where it's like they don't outright state it. They try to pretend it's even with the rest of them. But our main character gets in that group. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Blanket Dude gets in that group. So, I mean, Blanket Kid is like, yeah, he's pretty OG. top tier. No, uh, they, they say that those are not the only classes, but those are the only classes that are available to you here. Oh, I thought they had another one that was also part of, like, the characters getting sorted. And then they named the two others of which guide is included. Those are the classes that are available to the characters, and they all get sorted into those categories. And then I think he name drops a couple. And the implication is that there are even more besides the ones that had been name dropped. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we are, well, we already know about guides because that's what Evan is. Yeah, I... Mm-hmm. But like the the entire thing is people are getting sorted into categories that don't even necessarily fit them because it's a it's a means of control. You're exactly. putting people into a channel that you want them to be in because uh, Rack in particular is just like, why am I a tank? You're thinking like you're thinking like an irregular. And yeah. I, don't <laughs> I mean, I think the best example of this is Hats. Um, his whole shtick is that he is a incredibly powerful swordsman at first they were kind of implying that he was maybe on the same level as anak though later on it becomes kind of obvious that you know they're in a different league but like hats is definitely like really top tier really up there in terms of direct sword fighting quite frankly he should be in the um fisherman category just the way he fights but they put him in the B-friendly category. Oh, don't start me on the way he fights. It is. <sighs> it's kind of dumb, yes, but... <laughs> High-flying sword. I am going to completely let go of my sword and throw it... I'm going to throw it into the, the air. <laughs> no, specifically, he throws it above the enemy so he can jump up and do a down slash. Like, why would you not just grab the sword? <laughs> <laughs> it looks cool, and that's the only thing. <laughs> yeah. That, that's that's the long and short of it. You can't even get through that sentence, Sam. <laughs> and I can't justify it. It's so dumb. But whatever, that's not the point. The, the point, point being, he's not friendly, and they put him in the category where he needs to make a friend quota. Well, the, the friend quota isn't necessarily part of the test, because the teachers might also just be being arbitrary. Like, nothing matters you see like bits and pieces of the various other jrpg classes going on like we find out that naturally because he's main character boy bam is like one of the most powerful wave controllers already or at least he's displaying talents that will make him the most powerful did we get confirmed that like he produces some light is what he does in his class essentially but yeah. like yeah but he does it so effortlessly that half horn bishi boy is like Oh, wow, that's amazing that you did that. And Discount Aizawa is like, yeah, of course he could do that. He's talented. The thing that was exceptional about that is he, like, they had taken a couple of classes, and Bomb said, I do not intellectually understand this. And Discount Aizawa says to him, 
okay, just physically do this. And he produces light, which is more than someone who did understand the lessons was able to do in spite of actually intellectually understanding it. Gotcha. Okay. That makes more sense. Yep. And it, it is it is kind of one of those cases where it's like we have to make our protagonist special. I <laughs> as much as as much as I've sort of been the defender of Bomb, um, uh keeps hitting the lottery. Luck is definitely the only skill he has. It's Yeah, I can't really defend this one. I wasn't too happy about that. Well, I mean, apparently luck is the most valuable skill you can have because that's how this world runs on runs. Yeah. I know it's hysterical for me, the humongous fan of Kill Six Billion Demons, to say I didn't like the character in this webcomic who succeeds despite doing nothing. Because <laughs> no, here's the thing. I like succeeding despite doing nothing. Bam doesn't really succeed. He has success given to him in a lot of situations. True. True. He has success given to him and he has character growth. Mm hmm. At some point, I'm sure it will happen. Yeah, it's just kind of like, it's not even like he feels that he's stagnant and not really... Well, I mean, I, I could argue that perhaps he doesn't know what growth is or what stagnation is simply because he's a complete blank slate from what we understand. So it's like anything will, be, will seem to be growth for him. Again, anything is better than literally nothing. That's sort of going along the lines of Bomb is the main character of this story, but it's not really his story because once he actually has something in his life, he's honestly a pretty like decent and OK kid. Like when he's not jumping in front of a, a cudgel to uh, to protect Rachel, he does pretty well for himself. He's already in a pretty okay place once you take the toxic person out of his life. Yep. So I, I, I will say Bomb is, if what you want to do is create like a really wide political story about like a whole large cast of characters, the fact that Bomb is essentially a blank slate whose motivation can be summarized in a single sentence is great. You want yeah. something simple to understand like that so that you can, through his eyes, appreciate the rest of the story. Because otherwise, who are you going to make the main character? Like, Kuhn, mm. you have to understand everything about his family, Yeah, basically. Um, Rock is clearly a joke character who will never get any respect. Um, <laughs> like, I respect Rock. He does eat bananas and eat a t-shirt in this arc. <laughs> that uh, is true. He's very simple. That's not necessarily a bad thing. You know what you're getting up front. He does shout his motivations at you. <laughs> but, but one of the things I meant to say earlier is that there is very clearly a much wider plot being engaged with here. There is power struggles within power struggles within power struggles. Bomb has zero idea about any of this. He's tabula rasa. He is a blank slate. He's just here. And the more he is slowly eased into this by circumstance the more we the audience are eased into it but really the most important thing here is uh indorsey and anak because we learned that indorsey is also a princess of jihad and she has been calling anak a faker a, a fake princess and it's during their uh fisherman course that we learn the truth of why this is because anak is not a knock. She's dead. <laughs> the real Anak Jihad is dead. This one, Lizard Girl, is her daughter. 
which if you'll recall, I don't know, a couple hours ago, uh, when <laughs> I said that that was a big no-no. You should exist, essentially. She should not mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. According to these guidelines that were previously outlined, she should not yeah. exist. According, according to uh, Jihad and, and Dorsey. Mm-hmm. Because the the original Anak fell in love with a guy, got married, became pregnant with his child, and that is our lizard girl. She inherited some of Jihad's power. Without his permission, how dare she? Well, they ran for a while and they hid for a while. Eventually, Jihad found them, murdered her parents, and she was whisked away by, I think, Evan? Yeah, the... There's we more get, to learn about exactly what happened to our Anak. Th- that's how Lizard Girl has the green April. She essentially took it from her mother's corpse. <laughs> and she has sworn bloody, bloody vengeance against the rest of the princesses and Jihad. Totally reasonable. I mean, really, you come in here completely oblivious to the situation and someone comes in and you know kills your kills your mom and dad kills your parents and you're like what the hell i actually really liked her uh backstory (laughs) scene because it's um essentially her and her mom hanging out in a field and her mom is doing nothing but bashing her dad going this guy ruined my life i used to be a really cool princess and she's like oh are you and dad fighting again like you fight every single day yes i hate him so much she hates him she says that he feels like she feels that he lied to her. Oh, she no, she definitely plays up to the I hate you because she appreciates the amount he, like, puts... They're not a great relationship. Yeah, but I mean, it's less, like, visceral hatred with I feel he misled no. me because it was essentially he was coming from a lifestyle that she was not familiar with. She was captivated by something that she was unfamiliar oh, with. Essentially, essentially. And now looking back on it, she's just like, I, I regret w- like I see having having it I mean, all. essentially how that scene does end, though, is um, her saying like, well, your dad made some chicken pies as apology. And she's like, I wish we could have chicken pies every day. And she's like, well, maybe I should fight more with your father. You already do. Like she's she's playing up the amount she hates this. She does have genuine resentment. Mm-hmm. That's definitely there. That's how I read it as well. Maybe this is the romantic and the optimist in me, but I sort of I sort of read it as um, whatever regrets that she does have, she'd make the same choice again with perfect hindsight. It's a valid read to say that she wouldn't. We've said the art is not the strongest point. There are places where the art looks really good, and the way that she smiles when talking about him. Like she was, she was whisked whisked away by this guy who came from a completely different background, and you know was was a I don't know I don't want to say bad boy, but was different, you know, different from the privileged life she was living. And she's like, hey, that's interesting. I want to check this out, see what it is, and you know it it. Obviously, she has her complaints about it. She gave up a lot of power, a lot of prestige, and she is resentful of that. That is 100% there. Yes, but I mean, whether or not it's kind of like, do I hate him? No, but it's like, it's kind of like if I fully understood, if I were a person who was more experienced, I would not have been caught up in, oh, that's different. I'm, I'm attracted to that because it's mm-hmm. different. Like, if I fully grasp, oh. you know, perhaps that he was more agricultural, more agrarian, not prestigious, if I fully understood what that was, maybe I wouldn't have made the same choices. But it's like, I guess my, I guess what I'm saying is that I don't think she really hates him as a person because I don't feel 
giving him the benefit of that. I don't think he misled her. Hmm. And we, we we don't know anything about it. This is the real thing. And that's why. But, but I mean, I feel I feel like he didn't mislead her. It was just different from what she was accustomed yeah. to. And no, now she's kind of jaded. That's a hundred percent what I've been saying. She's yeah. resentful of what she's given up. And like the big thing is, there's a strong through line of also they're staying together for the kid because she does mention a lot of times, "You are my most precious treasure." Yeah, yeah. At, at the end of the day original Anak has a lot of mixed feelings about this whole situation, which really explains why when directly asked by Endorsey, uh, do you know if your mother regretted what she did? Lizard girl just says, maybe the big maybe. thing I really like about lizard girl is essentially what she says is she fell in love with the, um, best chicken pie maker. And that person died because of the stupid, um, family in charge of this tower. So now I'm going to take, we don't ever find out if her mother enjoyed the chicken pies. Yes, she did. We don't. She we did. don't know for she sure. She was hundred yeah, percent excited that they were making chicken yeah. pies as an apology. Like it, it's yeah. implied, so she starts the, the fights to get. Are like out of this world, and we need to check out this chicken pie. I need that recipe. The thing I really enjoyed was um, Lizard Girl essentially says that her whole vendetta against uh, her mother's family is because they killed her father. Understandable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will avenge the chicken pie maker. She is essentially her mother's family completely, you know, obviously uprooted her entire life. I mean, mm-hmm. they didn't just they didn't just take out the offender of, you know, her mother. They took out they everything. destroyed her entire life. Yep. And yes. so she's gone full Shar Asnable. Her mother made a choice and is at least responsible for the consequences. Her father didn't make that choice. Her father was an unwilling participant. Well, not, you know what I mean? The yeah. retribution against yeah. him was not justified. You could make the argument that mm-hmm. the retribution against her mother was justified. She knew what the rules were and she <laughs> broke them. And she broke them. Exactly. Because what if the father were completely in the dark and like did not know I, about these rules? He just sees this beautiful woman who's into to, who's into him and he's like, Oh wow, you really like I mean, my chicken that pie. That doesn't even matter though. The, the rules don't apply to him. He's not yeah. I, so he yeah. is an innocent party of which she is going to get vengeance against an entire family for. Quite frankly, yep. so is uh so is our Anak, because we don't actually know what her name was, uh the original Anak only ever refers to uh, her as her gem. Which is why her name is so cute. It's just like, oh, it's so Might have been intentional. My child. She's also an innocent party in this. She didn't ask to be born, you know? Yeah. How dare that person wear Abed's shoes? Mm-hmm. I, I love that translation because that line was weird. Oh, yeah. Occasionally, someone will take the shoes out and wear them. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, man, talk about talk about objectifying women. Holy shit. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's intentional. I think that's supposed oh, yeah, to be it's, incredibly it's, cringy. Yeah, it's it's to make jihad completely reprehensible and it it works. <laughs> anyway, it's also it's also a fun through line because there is that disgusting metaphor. Uh, and then also the thing that keeps uh causing Endorsey to lose fights is that people attack her heels <laughs> like yeah. it's a little on the nose oh shit my heels 
I'm defenseless. Yep. Anak broke her heel and it made her fall on her ass again. And then, uh, well, actually, they, they double KO each other by falling off of the pillars at the same time. I love and how the mentor is even like, everyone else is just chilling out and you guys are the only two who have knocked each other out. And like, it's so petty too. There's this whole like bit at the beginning where uh, and Dorsey is like showing like, look, this is what a real princess of Jihad can do. See how much better I am than you. Anak is able to outmaneuver her by... Um, um, targeting the the heel of her shoe and then as Endorsey is falling she just like grabs onto an ox leg and starts dragging her down with her as if this metaphor wasn't already obvious enough yeah no this metaphor really slaps you in the face and i kind of love it for that the thing is i empathize with both of them because you know obviously one worked for her position and was just like, I had to sacrifice everything. I had to be one of the chosen ones. I was bestowed this power, this great honor, artificially, whatever, that that, that honor was bestowed upon. She her, worked whatever. for it within the rules, yeah. And then this other person just happened to be born in it and was, quite honestly, by her very existence, is an aberration of the rule, is illegal. You can almost understand in Dorsey's hatred because it comes back down to argument at the th at the barrier gate or at the barrier challenge why are some people just born better when the rest of us struggle mm -hmm. exactly i again i'm not justifying it but i completely empathize with both of them um and honestly yeah. i think a large part of it is like and dorsey has so obviously been like raised wrong like this whole system is screwed up it's interesting to me because Everything about the way that the story has been framed so far centers Jihad as being everything wrong. Like, he, like it's all his fault. And I kind of want to meet him because, you know, they could they could pull the rug out from I mean, under it you. kind of is his fault, though, because because he's the one who enacted these rules mm -hmm. and kind of sowed the seeds of this resentment. It's kind of like. But what if he's a puppet of the tower, too? We don't know yet. Yeah, it, I could also give him the benefit of the doubt of I don't I don't know how much outreach he had. Like, obviously, hmm. he has he has this control over his daughters. OK, but has this control been extrapolated to, you know, other areas? I mean, people are obviously grooming their children to be potential yeah. candidates to be considered to be his daughter. So, I mean, it's like, I don't think it's necessarily just jihad's doing. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's yeah. you know, 100%. that's what I'm saying. It's it'll be interesting to meet them. Whoever her organic parents were also instilled like this is a huge honor. You should, you know. Well, one of the things that we learn is that if you like become a child of jihad, you live for a long time. Mm. Like it's revealed that Yuri is hundreds of years old it's implied that Endorsey is the same and so whereas anak is actually the age that she looks which is 13 ish mm -hmm. who knows how long jihad has sat at the top of this tower imposing these rules letting this just bake into the society of the tower who knows how intentional that was like that's mm -hmm. sort of what who i'm knows saying what the, who knows what, what I mean. the tower was like thousands of years ago before jihad showed up yeah but i mean i kind of agree with jacob here where it's like i don't know how much of this is his doing like i mean is it his right to you know determine who inherits his power you know he sh should he have that control of saying hey if you want to inherit my power these are the conditions 
I'm not forcing you mm-hmm. into it, but you know, if you want this, this is what you're going to have to accept. Yeah. And then other people, you know, in stations below him saying, oh, well, this is going to be in our family's advantage to have a member of our family become one of his daughters. Grooming their children into being shoes for his collection. And how, how responsible is Jihad for that? And, you know, it's it's one of those cases where maybe he's entirely responsible. Maybe he's a giant scapegoat for the tower itself. Or maybe it's somewhere in between. We don't know yet. All I, all I know is this brings us to the end of our reading. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, actually, we get that questions. one little bit at the end where um, because they've both been hospitalized, they are being bribed with food to join the Friendship Club. Yes. I mean, that's how you win. <laughs> and and Bam with his unbreakable resolve, because nothing is worse than not seeing Rachel again. He's able to bribe and Dorsey and track. She has this pulley system that pulls yeah. the, the tray of food out of her way if she doesn't sign the thing. In fairness, that is Kuhn's plan. He's just an actor. Did it too. Like he ha- he has a whole like it's scripted and directed by. And tracksuit immediately folds in front of a knock. Yeah. <laughs> but that does bring us to the end of our reading. So favorite characters stroke teams. I've already said my piece about why i don't like bam i feel like if i kept reading i would he would grow on me right now though uh kun is best boy rock takes a close second black march is best girl i will accept no counter argument to this (laughs) i love kun because i i love the sneaky trickster archetype characters already and he does that while also having plenty of opportunity and like fertile soil to grow out of being the like untrusting, closed off, edgy boy. But like while still maintaining how cool he is with with all that trickster archetype stuff, he is primed to grow into like the best character almost designed for me to love and he's got a blue and white aesthetic going down i i can't i can't knock anything about this man yeah i would have to say i was between either coon and tracksuit guy and i feel like just because tracksuit guy was just that neutral party who wishes there to kind of interact with very with the various characters and and try to like really um really um scoop out their their own individual success and i really feel like the most relatable character had to be tracksuit guy he's almost a better audience surrogate than bam i was literally about to say because he's he's just so relatable it's just like yeah even even when there were awkward lulls or when there were like really tense moments like he would be the one to break that wall and say hey this is like super awkward right he he would be that intermediary character to kind of make it more streamlined for the, for the reader and i really appreciated that so um i would say that he would be my favorite character a close second would have to be um for similar reasons sam um coon just because as i as i in- indicated earlier like for especially with the door test, I kind of relate to that. I'm kind of the person who would be over analytical and be just like, "What do you mean? You didn't give us any clues at all." And it's just like, so vividly relate to Coon's response of this test was stupid. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I've related to Kuhn a lot in a lot of instances and just kind of like being that underdog of just being super uh, mysterious and super conniving. Like, I mean, a lot of people, obviously, that we're encountering in this um, in this universe are very have physical and metaphysical strengths. But Kuhn relies more so on his like intellect. Mm -hmm. And just as cunning. And that's kind of where I would kind of categorize myself. And it's just kind of like you tend to lean on others who are maybe more physically endowed and more daredevilish. And it's just like, oh, I'll stick with what's comfortable. I'll stick with the facts, the, f the figures. And and... Bold of you to assume Kuhn isn't just hiding his true potential and the second a fight gets <laughs> that necessitates him being strong, he will unleash it. Yeah, but I mean... The person who will put that that put that foot forward first, as opposed to like, I'm going to kill mm. you. Well, wait, we just said we needed you to eliminate a certain amount of people. You can eliminate people without killing them. He was the person who said, OK, I'll try to talk these people down, try to bring them to my side. You know, killing is like a last resort. Killing is beneath me. I'm completely capable of killing you, but I'd rather not. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He's my favorite kind of character because he looks at a problem with two options and he chooses option three. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's just like it's on the other character who assumes, oh, he's incapable of really inflicting damage or really killing. It's like, um, that's a bold assumption. I'm just trying to be the good guy here and, you know, give you an alternative option. But if you're going to really put me in a corner. Bold here, words for someone within knife distance. Did I mention my bag can <laughs> yeah. infinitely duplicate things? Gates of Babylon. Yeah. So that was my take. Those are my favorites. I'm not sure if he's still in the competition, but ho 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 priest is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, we skipped over the best bit in, during the crown game where um, they're all fighting someone and he goes, ho, 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 burning fist and manages to connect. He's just like, oh, this was a mistake and then gets instantly knocked out. I'm not sure if he's dead. I didn't actually look him up on the is he still in the roster roster, but uh, I don't. He might just got slapped I think, out. I think he's among the injured and therefore failed group. Yeah, that's a shame. Oh. Uh, Matt, Matthew, your faith was not strong enough. That yeah, furry my lost. faith in him wasn't strong enough. Uh, <laughs> Rock's pretty cool. Uh, the, the one girl, the one girl who, um, old lady, Which old lady's girl? pretty cool. Ah, uh, not that old. She's I don't like remember her name. 30. But like everyone's calling her old lady, and like realistically. She's like maybe approaching 30. She's not all old, of these old. people are just giving each other nicknames because they don't remember each other's names. Isn't that right? Earrings. Yeah. We get a <laughs> whole like section of a chapter dedicated to why his nickname is Earrings. To why Kun is called Earrings. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just saying like that's super sexist and like, oh, you must they must be challenging your manhood because you have multiple earrings. Like that's actually they put earrings on everything. <laughs> Everyone at my school had tons of earrings. They even put them on yeah, boats. Like... <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, d d but I mean, you guys still believe in seppuku, and that's super barbaric. Oh, the seppuku thing is so <laughs> stupid, because it gets confirmed that it's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, 
Oh, you messed up? I'm gonna you should commit supaku because that is a huge dishonor to your Hearing family. Hearing that the anime strips out the gag panels, I, I hope that makes it more clear what is supposed to be canon. Because characters say them things that are directly contrary to what's going on. And like a funny joke, but is that true? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it doesn't lend any clarity to this already kind of difficult to understand manhwa. It, it adds uh, more words I have to read to get through a chapter, which when we're reading 34 at once is not my favorite thing. Um, yeah. Because we have like different, di not only different nations, we also have different cultures. Like obviously the urban rural split is very prevalent. And then we also have like the different, I don't know, have we established that they're all in the same? Are are is there a like a national divide between people? I mean, the tower is big enough; it probably it probably allows that. Yeah, so that's like there's also a national divide, I guess. Because the biggest thing we get confirmed is that each level of the tower is essentially a world onto itself. Yeah, yeah. and like one of the things that I can't help but question is what's outside the tower, like proper outside the tower, not above the clouds at the top where you can see the starry sky. Why is a death cloud at the top of the tower <laughs> like why is there a death cloud of hyper dense magic water up there that's a good question who knows well to to wrap up my question i'd say a track shoots team is my favorite because they've got a good team dynamic oh they're the, they're the best yeah yeah they, they are objectively a better main character team than what we have <laughs> <laughs> and it's really sad yeah, yeah. and jacob who's your favorite character uh Huerun. that's uh you can tell none of us recognize the names. And, and I, I have I, the cheat sheet up and I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, that's um, uh, that, uh, the staff girl, mask, mask tights girl. Oh, wow. You actually, you actually got it right. Yeah. Okay. That is the joke pick because I think she's really cute. Um, she do be cute though. She's really cute. But actual pick, honestly, um, I want to see more of Rack because it's like Rack is obviously going to be a comic relief character and like a supporting character. But I feel like there's more to him than meets the eye just because, you know, it's it's little things like him recognizing that he could not take a knock in a fight, but he still wanted something that was legitimately a challenge. Like that's sort of because, it, you know, it's like you could read that as cowardice, but I read that as accurate self-assessment. You know, he, it, he wants a challenge that he can succeed at. It shows a level of wisdom that the rest of the regulars just do not possess. So I like that about him and I'd like to see more of him. And I mean, like we've we've all said why Kun is amazing. And honestly, I kind of like Rachel in the same way Matt liked Akito in the Fruits Basket episode. She's a villain. <laughs> like, you know, despite the way that she's framed, she's pretty much like she's not all of Bomb's problems, because if Rachel never existed, then Bomb would always be in those tunnels. But like she's really toxic and i kind of want to see how their relationship develops like the the effect that she has on bomb i find interesting so jacob i would be a hundred percent on your team hate reading rachel unfortunately the way coon interacted with her didn't give me that same someone in the universe is upset with this that i got in fruits basket where they were like no this is definitely a bad guy and even in the context of the story we're acknowledging that the second someone acknowledges rachel like because yeah because i agree with matthew it's just like no one's acknowledged rachel's toxicity 
it's just like she people don't even know who Rachel is. Like he asks repeatedly, like, do you do you know who this person is? Her I I believe like what is it like light brown light light blonde freckles she's blonde with freckles or something and no one seems to recognize her so it's like she's an unknown it just seems like their relationship is just so toxic but the fact that no one else kind of validates that toxicity the second i get someone in character confirming to me that the the fiction itself agrees that she is not a good person 100 percent on board i have not gotten that confirmation yet here's the thing Mm -hmm. here's the thing I am reading between the lines and I trust Tower of God because it has set up and paid off those sorts of read between the line moments in the past. Like I mentioned with why the towers tests are so nonsense and arbitrary. And it is, it is very much a matter of, I trust that Tower of God will pay that off. I do not have that trust yet. So yeah. Yeah. You know what? Perfectly valid. Yep. <laughs> I've said it several times. I have theories about Bam's significance. I'm just going to say it right now. I think he might be an actual biological child of Jihad. Hmm. Ooh. The fact that Black March, uh, one of the 13 month weapons, responded to him so well. Like, yeah, there's the whole surface level thing of she's being catty. <laughs> she's being catty and he's a cute boy. There's that. Also, but also those weapons were made for jihad's children it all adopted children but what about a biological one uh Lerero, as much as said when bam got through the barrier challenge literally without even trying a monster has arrived and irregulars have almost universally been people of incredibly extreme power who have caused great waves to happen And what's a greater wave than becoming the king who reached the top of the tower and turned this entire thing into his domain? It's interesting because you could also raise the fact that all irregulars seem to be descended by jihad somehow. So I wouldn't. They're the ones who are capable of eliciting true change within the tower. Basically, everything we've seen in the tower has been a product of jihad's rulership. And I would not be surprised if it turned out that the whole regular irregular divide was also a thing that he created as a way to distance himself from his own life outside the tower and legitimize himself even more. Which means all the people within the tower network are being chumps. Because obviously he's a life outside of that tower. And I I think my main thing with that is... um, I don't think that Jihad's in control of the tower. Hmm. I think the tower is picking whoever it wants, which is why they have all these tests in place to stop people from rising. Because what the proctors tell us specifically is the tests are there to stop someone from getting to the top of the tower and making a wish that is detrimental to the tower or Mm -hmm. not to the to the world because the tower does not care if someone gets to the top and then wishes for the tower to not exist essentially. The tower yeah. is picking people who are worthy and getting them to the top. And like that level of agency I'm ascribing to it is what leads me to believe that this entire like test structure has been put in place by Jihad and the ruling class to limit who can make wishes because they can't stop the tower from bringing people in. Yeah. Which, oh, that's interesting. So I don't think Jihad has the level of control that the story wants you to think he has, but more importantly, like is kind of necessary for like this top down. 
So you think the test, I mean, we, we get we get instances of this, but do you think the testing is very A hundred percent. I think the testing, like, otherwise wouldn't... Now, is head-on a ranker, or is head-on, like, the actual proctor? Yeah. Because the rankers are also... Because the anchors are able to make... Then in that case, head-on, and, like, everyone who isn't a ranker... The rankers are part of Jihad's thing. The tower might have actual people at the end, but the fact that the second floor has, like, 20 tests before you can get to the actual test... That's suspicious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They are literally gatekeeping. And, like, that's the main reason why I don't think he can be Jihad's son, because I think Jihad's son would be a regular. The tower would... What, however it decides things, the fact that he's an irregular. I, I've got some weird theory that he exists outside of the world that I, I'm realizing kind of like bringing into coalition also would mean Rachel would have to be of a similar ilk. So it's yeah. kind of weird. Like, I, I think maybe we could be going on to like the fact he's named after the day he was born could be he's a test subject and Rachel knew where he is and he's some kind of like anti-magic being that is being raised by Rachel to protect her because it's super weird the the flashback we get where it's essentially just Rachel telling him now never betray girls especially me like mm -hmm. the, yeah. the dialogue we get between him she's grooming him She's 100% grooming him, but to the fact that it's ultra But not specified. even a way you would groom a person is the thing. Like, this is how you groom a test subject or like... Yeah, or program a robot. Like, actually, yeah, if Bam was a robot, I would not be surprised. Hmm. There's another thing. Uh, when Lerero first puts up the Shinsu barrier, he talks a bit about what the Shinsu can do. And one of those is there's rumors that if you ha if you can control enough of it, you could even create life. Maybe Bam isn't a an actual like biological child from Jihad's loins or whatever. Oh. But what if he is an actual artificially created being of concentrated Shinsu? And that's why the Shinsu reacted to defend him because it was protecting because it's itself. protecting itself. It also yeah. explains why he wasn't pushed back by the Shinsu. Mm hmm. Because why would water be pushed back from water? Why would water be wet? Exactly. <laughs> the way I the way that I've always read that moment, the Shinsu barrier moved around him. I had ascribed that originally to his like the Shinsu reactively um, attacking, but like it knew what Leiro wanted to do. I, I will admit my theory doesn't really work currently with the com the, the conversation Rachel has with Kuhn broke my theory kind of, and I'm. Some things need to be, could she just be lying to Kuhn? Which is 100% likely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, we, we also don't have enough background information to understand why she would have the motivation the, to Like, lie. the main thing is she had no way of knowing Bam would follow her. Mm -hmm. Because she was being chosen by the... But is that true? Well, we haven't had is anything that, that establishes that. Like, I, I think... But I mean, she knows that it's, this is of someone who's a complete blank slate. Like, like noticeably a blank slate. They have nothing slate. else going on. Yeah. yeah, like they have nothing else going on. Whether or not you want to take on that role or not, like if I were to reach out to somebody who I knew had absolutely nothing, they were living literally out of a shoebox. Yeah, let's not get into the fact that most of the conversations she has with Bam, he's still wearing a dirty rag. Yeah. That's... Doesn't cut his hair, doesn't do anything. I'm not saying that she consented to the role, but it's something that she would have to be aware of. 
of this is somebody who literally has nothing, nothing to look forward to, nothing to look backwards to. Like this is somebody who's completely blank. They have nothing. They live in a cave together. Also kind of weird. You, 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 can't, you can't reasonably just disappear and expect them not to be like, where'd this person go? That also brings up a rather interesting question. Why was Rachel in the tunnel in the first place? There's a whole lot of questions. But what I mean is like she knew who she knew more so than Bam knew what she was dealing Which with. It's kind of what I'm saying is for my theory really to hold ground, she has to have been lying to Kuhn, which very likely, because essentially what she was saying was something that would get enough of Kuhn's opinion to be like, yeah, I'll lie to Bam for you. As for as for my perspective on it, my immediate thought was that relative to Bam, I kind of assumed that the the Shinsu itself had basically picked him to you know, right the wrongs of the tower. Not not necessarily like that, like bluntly o- or overtly. But the one thing that like has been stuck in my mind and I finally get to say it, this is a complete like shot in the dark. I have no idea where I'm, I have no evidence for this. But like, is the tower the last refuge after like an apocalypse or something? I want to know what's outside the tower and below the clouds. What is that? What's going on there? <laughs> like, that's the that's the thing that I'm most interested in. And the reason why I can't help but notice it. It is important to note that the one thing everybody says about Shinsu is that it allows us to breathe. The thing that I can't help but note when I look at, like, the aesthetic of Tower of God, there is so much of this that it's like there's, like, melee weapons and traditional clothes and stuff. And then there's a guy with a sniper rifle. And then there's a digital clock on the pockets. And they talk about phone calls. Was there a world before the tower? Is the tower, like, has the tower always existed? Or is the tower the last refuge after something happened to the world? Then what are all the animal people like? <laughs> I'm so, I'm so intrigued by finding out what is going on with this world as a whole? Like, not even the political stuff with jihad and stuff, but like, what is this world? And I think that answers the our final question, <laughs> at least at least for Jacob and I. Would you continue reading to find the answer to these questions? I think it's safe to say that I can speak for Jacob and myself and I say yes. Heck yes. Jay and Matt, what do you guys think? Would you keep reading? So that's kind of a rough thing. I would say there's definitely a lot of mystery there, but like, I'm not sure I, I'm really happy with the extent at which they fulfill things. Like, it's a really long con to get some information on things. Like, if we're going to get more of Rack's story, the fact we're 34 chapters in and, like, it hasn't even been hinted at yet, how hmm. much are they expecting me to read before payoff? Like, A fair point. It's It's also very verbose. So, like... 486 chapters is a long time to go i'm sure there's a lot of mystery and like i i did enjoy what we read to a degree i did rage at some bits because i'm like i i'm just not enjoying this but i pushed through it and i'm enjoying where i am now if i didn't have the motivation of a podcast i would have dropped off of this it it is not at the pace i enjoy Mm -hmm. to have like this long drawn out mystery series which i do understand this is released page by page so that obviously affects how much you can, like, how you want to pace things. I just don't think I would continue reading. I would have to agree with um, Matt in this respect. And for those who have been listening with us through this entire journey, 
you know how many other other series I've committed to like I would continue reading I would continue reading if I had the bandwidth to focus on another like ex- like mystery manhwa I would continue reading but the amount of payoff that I received within this third these 34 chapters is not enough for me to to want to want to continue to invest in this one particular series. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of in the same place that I was on uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, where it's like, it's good, but it's not for me, and I don't want to spend the time on it, basically. Yeah. I'm like, it's not bad. I would definitely encourage, don't get it twisted. If you have the time and you had the bandwidth, definitely read this. It is very good. It has a good plot. All the characters are very interesting. It's just with the time constraints of, you know, maintaining a podcast and having so many other things, you know, on the list to tackle. Mm-hmm. Would I continue reading this? I don't I don't have the bandwidth. Life in 2021 is pretty <laughs> hectic. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us on this episode of the OverMangaCast. Make sure to follow us on all your social medias uh, at OverMangaCast on Twitter, OverMangaCast on Instagram. We're also on YouTube. You can uh, listen to the episodes there as well. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Ring that bell. <laughs> hey, even if you don't like us, leave us a comment. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, where you would like us to improve. That's engagement. The, the algorithm yes. likes that. If you think I had bad opinions about Tower of God and you want to tell me why I'm wrong, uh, reach out to the Twitter. I'll fight you in the DMs. <laughs> we, we all we have all already sold our soul to the algorithm, so bring it mm-hmm. on. And join us again next week where, oh, I'm excited. I'm pretty sure all of us mm-hmm. are. We're going back for a third dip. We're going back to Chainsaw Man again. And just in time for the uh, preview of the upcoming anime. But next week, if you want to be reading along, make sure you get to chapter 53 and go to chapter 70. We're going to pull the ripcord again. I'm so freaking excited. This is going to be crazy. Oh, it's I I feel so bad for everyone who's reading along with us because we're halfway to the end. (laughs) We've been warned there's another cliffhanger, so that'll be delightful. for the rage so tune in next thursday to hear us all be exceptionally angry and prepare yourselves for part four good night good night, good night everybody